Welcome back, Goal and Globus Theater. Death Wish Month continues. We're going to be dealing with a lot more giggling uh, uh, rapists. Rapists, yes. I think this is our last rape movie, though. I think four and five, there's no rape. So, four, okay. so we only have to endure one more disturbing rape scene. Free and clear. One more movie because there's two disturbing rapes in this yeah. movie. <laughs> oh my god. It, it, it's just such a throwaway for the Death Wish crew. It's just like, ah, just throw a rape in there. That'll motivate everybody. Like, why is that just so, so well, heavily? Because we, you guys thought, you and Joe last week thought the first one, I, this was way more disturbing to me than the first rape scene. There's no spray paint. You thought the spray paint was okay. You were just like, hey, these What's are, art when you put paint These are boys ball. being boys. Yeah. <laughs> you saw this one, you're like, this no. One, when I saw a guy with a, a purpose, purposeful skullet, I was disturbed immediately and no eyebrows. So I was like, you know, I saw that you fixed the name in there. I yeah. thought that guy's name was Punk Cut with the mullet. I could see why you would. Punk, it's a punk cut, yeah. you know, haircut. No. no. He was Stomper. I'm very I'm very disappointed by that. But I'm not disappointed about Griff. We all know, not only is this Death Wish Month, this is Guest Month. We're having a guest for every single... And I, we said last week, whoever gets the lowest amount of downloads in the first week is banished forever. You can never come on this show ever again. That's right. So the competition's fierce. <laughs> People are sweating. They're like, no, I'm going to win. No, I'm, I don't know. After I looked at the numbers Joe, uh, Joe from last week had, I don't know if anyone's going to touch him. I think he's safe. He's been a nervous wreck all week. He's been texting me just like, how am I doing? How am I doing? He's, he wants to get back in here. He's like, I got to do Street Fighter. I, I got to do this. I got to do that. Like, I think I can do better. Can we do it again? No. You get one shot. We're right off eight mile. We we live by the eight mile rule. You get one shot. Do not miss your chance to blow. Something. Whatever the fuck he says. But this week, Griff, got a very special guest. This is fresh meat. New. I know. I've known him for a while on Twitter, but this is his first time appearing on our show, and he's got many a story to tell about Death Wish too. He's got the inside info. I want to introduce everybody. You might know him on Twitter as your Canadian girlfriend, but we know him as Joe Corey. Joe, how are you doing? I'm doing good, and I'm here to enjoy the death wishiness of it all. Oh, there's so much death wishiness happening here. It's like the perfect hour, 25 minute. I mean, love that. Do, do you also miss that art of a of a 90 minute movie? Is that something that only I complain about, or I should say, we complain about? Or do you think do you think we're right in that modern movies just are too long these days, Joe? They're they're too long, man. They're they're, they're you know you're sitting there going uh, you know I think the problem is they charge so much for a ticket you expect more. You know it's I, like oh let me give you a four hour movie for your twenty your your fourteen dollar ticket and your thirty dollar ball of pop, you know thing of popcorn right. Right. And so they're, make they're, I get it. Good. But on the other hand, being a lover of double features, I hate it because I'm like no one's gonna double feature two three hour films. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I oh man, double features are great too. Like being able to go see a couple of like hour and ten minute movies, I'd much and with an intermission. Oh man, I'd do that all day. I mean, I, I you know what I got me upset because I guess they people were hyping it was the anniversary of uh, Tarantino and Rodriguez's Grindhouse film. I don't know if you remember mm. that one. Yeah, and, I do. And then, yeah, and then each one of them decided, oh no, we need to make our films longer. And honestly, both films stunk. 
after they added in what <laughs> half hour, 40 minutes. It was like, no, those it was not worth it. It was not worth it. You know, give me give me your two and a half hour film, double film package with the bonus stuff, and I'm good. I'm good. I don't need to watch more of the rest of your film. Right. Yeah, so. I think uh Death Proof, was that the Tarantino? That was my that's my least favorite Tarantino film. Yeah, there was uh Planet Terror or something. Planet Terror. Planet Terror. I, I that. I can't say I liked it, but I think Rodriguez nailed the feel of what they were trying to do. Now, while yeah. Tarantino was just doing his thing. Yeah, you know. No, right. I mean, I, I mean, the only thing good about. Go ahead, Joe. Oh, I was going to say the problem with Tarantino is he pays tribute to these genres, these genres that had eighty-minute films by doing four-hour movies. Yeah, yeah, and it's just yeah. it's boring, boring conversations. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Kurt Russell as always was great, and his, his scenes were great. Yeah, but everything else, I like. I don't want to see any of this shit. Yeah, I that was in my early days of movie watching, and holy shit, I was watching that. I was like, what's supposed to be good about this? <laughs> I was having a very hard time with it. I wasn't even in love with Kurt Russell yet, so I was having even harder of a time with it. But I, I like that we brought up. Um, these double features and just this whole uh, prior movie experience because it, it was so much cooler. And you mentioned this, uh, you, you've written yourself quite, quite a nice little fantasy booking of, uh, you know, a movie experience, a whole, what was it like a two week period to wrote about? And you have like movies every night. It's a little, my, oh, the, the obscure con 80s teen flick film festival that I made up when they canceled every film festival I was going to go to this summer or last summer. I should oh, say. that makes, that makes perfect sense. I was having oh, yeah. the same treacherous memories of all the concerts I was supposed to go to. Yeah. yeah. It's like I'm, I'm stuck at home. Uh, you know, let me just write my own film guidebook, you know, it might, my, 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 you know, for a festival. And so, you know, 11 days, bunch of double features, triple features, you know, quadruple feature the one day. <laughs> I, believe, I believe I believe I did go for four. I'm you know, you know, because you, you look, you you gotta get all the John Hughes movies out if you're gonna do a teen flick film festival book. Right. I just and, I like this whole idea because of the shared experience of seeing those movies. Like, uh, I imagine being uh, in the area you are, you have a lot of small theaters that do. Do you get to go visit them and go see like small theaters doing like these older movies and stuff? I do. Well, see, down here in Raleigh, uh, in the Raleigh area, Raleigh, Durham, and Chapel Hill together. But we have uh, a buddy of mine. Um, he does what's known as Cinema Overdrive around here, Adam, Adam Hewlin. And he will book in just the strangest, most bizarre, brilliant stuff. And we, we, we have an Alamo. Actually, I have an Alamo about two blocks away from my house that where he does it uh, occasionally. And then there's the Carolina Theater in Durham where he does it. And we've run everything a lot of a lot of like ms 45 a lot of john carpenter stuff just yeah. anything we can get our hands on it's or he can get his hands on i i've gotten a guest host it so that's why i can say we occasionally but yeah oh, it's, okay it is you know it, if you if you're in the triangle hopefully when movies come back he'll be there uh dolomite we ran dolomite and uh just go oh good stuff. one you can't, you know, you just wait on it, put your weight on it. And uh, the sad part, because we, we, we both went to uh, School of the Arts, North Carolina School of the Arts in Winston-Salem. And uh, one of the guys who taught cinematography when we were there was Arlich Amanaki, and he was the DP on Disco Godfather. Oh, nice. And we, we, <laughs> I... we I, and I like the fact that I get to tell people when they ask, oh, uh, who trained you for photography? And I go, the man who shot Disco Godfather. So shut up. You know, <laughs> like, oh, God, 
Is that? Yeah. Yeah, that's. I have Disco Godfather, the laser disc. I, no, actually, I think it's the soundtrack on my wall in the background here. Oh, oh. man, Disco Godfather. Disco. I mean, you know, Bucky, what I have stopped, you done? I don't know. I stopped doing PCP thanks to that movie. I was like, shit, I didn't know I was ruining my life. Oh, my God. I was having I, a good time. I stopped the whack, man. I had to stop the whack. Or whack the stuff. And, I can't remember which it is. <laughs> yeah. I really do hope that we get our theaters going here, uh, you know, by by fall, I would hope, you know. I think it's, I, I, I mean, summer. You think summer? I, I think, well, yeah, because they want to make that fucking money, that Marvel movie money. You got to make the Marvel movie. Well, I'm more worried about the small theater. I want to go back to the Redford Theater more so than I want to go down the street and see a oh. three-hour reboot of uh, Escape from New York, you know? With Kurt Russell's son, Lars Russell. Are we allowed to trash? Are we allowed to trash the uh, the uh, Winter Soldier and Falcon movie <laughs> <laughs> or TV show? I'm We're sorry, all... it's a, it's it's a it's a it's a t- it's a movie that they just decided. Here's where the commercial breaks go. You know, that's it. We're gonna stop it here and we'll restart it here because we're bored. If it's... you want, you can save that hate for uh, a segment I'm about to do here in a moment Uh-oh. because so uh, you can save it and you know you can fall back back on that if you can't think of anything else and we'll go right into that segment and uh, before we get into it I have oh. one question I gotta ask Joe yeah how the fuck do you know the cowboy for the village people <laughs> okay so this is this is this is it okay when I was a kid Years and years as I was a kid, and the Village People record came out. If you flip the back of the Macho Man record, it said Randy Jones from Raleigh, North Carolina. And all I, and I lived yeah. in North Carolina, although I was in Fayetteville at the time. And I said, you know what? Someday I want to meet this guy because he's from North Carolina, right? Right. And then it turns out he went to he went to Broughton High, but then he ends up he he went to uh, School of the Arts, North Carolina School of the Arts. He's a graduate from one of the early years there, and I joked one time online, and, and I didn't get to meet him while I was there, but I joked one time online about how I was living in the shadow of the cowboy of the village people because I actually <laughs> lived across the street from the high school he went to and all this other stuff. And he writes me back. And oh, so wow. he, and then he came down, he was doing he was doing a, a film festival. It was a gay film festival in Durham. So he invited me over to meet him and stuff. And we ended up talking for a bit. And he kept saying, We need to work on something. And I was like, okay, you know, and I would throw some goofy ideas at him for, you know, you know, like, like RuPaul's drag race for cowboys or something, you know, cause he knew those guys and it didn't work out. But then I was like, I came up with the, the, the show of, uh, you know, finding the bad lessons in educational films. And, and I, and, and I was supposed to have somebody else host it. And just for oddsness, I, I sent him a copy of what we were doing. And he immediately writes me back going, I want to host it. I was like, well, I don't have any money. And he's like, okay, I want to host it. And I was like, sure. <laughs> so, and, and this is, this is the oddest weird part of it. So I invite him, I, instead of renting a space or anything like that, cause you know, we're low to the bone and I have a large television. I'm like, instead of getting green screen, I'm just going to stick him in front of the TV set and run stuff behind him and videotape <laughs> that completely, you know, no post-production, no nothing. And he, so he, and he's like, okay, I'll come to your house. He shows up at my house and he's looking around because it turns out he used to come on my street and play when he was a kid. Because oh, I live, I live, I live like, you know, basically the other side of a baseball park from where he grew up, where his house was, where his parents' house was. Wow. And so it was, it was we, just that hilarious, weird moment of, a, well, you're still playing and you're in the neighborhood. 
So it was, uh, <laughs> it was, it was he's a great guy, man. He's, you know, just fun to be around. And I swear to God, we, we went out one time for, uh, you know, to meet up before we shot. We went to this restaurant and he knew either he knew everyone in the restaurant or he knew someone he knew in the restaurant. It was like Kevin Bacon time. Everything, you know, oh, wait, I know so and you're just like, wow, how to be disconnected. And and for those Jeez. of you curious, he does still, he, he, he did live in the village. He lives in the village in New York City still. He's the only member, I think, that has been a resident of the village for all these years. Keeping it real. I like he that. Is, Please he tell is. me he, he and, always dresses like a cowboy, does he? Is he always in cowboy gear? Pretty much. Pretty yes. much. He, at least he's he's wearing some sort of either cowboy hat or or he's got some sort of, you know, field cowboy kind of thing, you know, the plaids and stuff. But, you know, and I joked with him. I said, you know, look, you, you, you chose wisely because I don't think you could get around, you know, you could walk around looking like a construction guy and be normal. You know, or the leather guy. You know, the leather right. guy's gonna stick out going through the airport. You know, somebody's gonna somebody's gonna wand you at some point. You know, but uh, yeah, no, just the most wonderful guy, most wonderful guy. If you ever get a chance, and he, he still performs. He uh, he does like disco nights and stuff. And we're actually back to Winston Salem. They're starting a minor league baseball team called the Disco Peacocks. Oh, that sounds great. Oh, no, so I'm sorry. I'm, gonna... I'm sorry. I I blew the joke. It's called the Disco Turkeys because the here around here they joke oh. that, that peacocks are disco turkeys, and so ah. uh, and we're trying to get I'm trying to get him hooked up with the team so that he could do like uh you know and throw the baseball out and do some other stuff you know lead the crowd in YMCA and stuff like that because he does that in New York City a lot he used to do it at Yankees games he'd, he'd come out and be the special guest for when they did YMCA at some point in the game. Oh, it sounds like it'd be an awesome connection, and not to mention disco. The, the disco turkey was it? <laughs> disco that, turkeys. They're they're. I, I, if you it's the if you go online, look up their logo. It basically is a peacock in John Travolta's Saturday Night Fever oh, uh, wardrobe yeah. with, with his finger up, and then he's holding a bat with the other hand. I was Brilliant. just gonna say, there's got to be a great logo, and I'm so thrilled that 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 exists already. I'm writing it down so I can check on that yes. later. It is. It is. It just you know. I, I don't. I don't even care how the team does. I just want a shirt. You know. <laughs> All right. Enough good times here, guys. <laughs> Look, here's the problem with today's society. You know, we're canceling everything. Everybody's got a list of what they're canceling. Abortions are being called canceling babies now. That's the new. We're canceling babies. So. I've I've gone ahead and put a little list together. I'll read out a couple. You guys think of one thing you want to cancel out of here, okay? Starting with Little Caesars. For claiming in their advertisements to be not big-time pizza, but the little guy's pizza. What the fuck is this ad campaign, Murray? They're like they're like international. But they have little in their title. But they so have they're, little they're in their title. Technically, they are little. Yeah. That... that commercial infuriates me so i'm canceling it it's done i i can't i can't i can't cancel them because they sent me a free t-shirt years ago a couple remember when they had that uh, nuts von crazy guy and i and i asked them online hey can you send me a t-shirt and they did so you know they've got wow. a personal touch they have a personal touch so we found out joe can be bought with i was a just gonna say joe okay. can be bought for a t-shirt all right no nah, well all i'm right. just saying because pizza are not pizza uh, domino's pizza never sent me a noid shirt so you know what they don't have a small touch they don't have the small that's touch. An, 
Another local pizza place. Yeah. We're the birthplace of shitty uh, chain pizza. Chain pizza. Yeah. What, the, why, why, what did right that, next... What did you people do to get that? <laughs> it's like... I don't know. I don't. Yeah. It's, and just... it's not even Detroit style pizza. Right. It's just pan style pizza. Yeah. So weird. So it's it's something. I don't know. It's, it is weird. Next thing I'm canceling: quick cuts in TV and movie shows. I agree with TV that. TV shows and movies. That probably, I would cut that. You'd cut that. I'd cut Gone. that. No pun intended. Gone and all right, feet. here's my last one. So, you guys, you're on deck. You got to have one thing to cancel here. The last thing I'm canceling here is sandwiches. No longer <laughs> can, can meats, cheeses, veggies, spreads, oils be combined in between two pieces of bread. No longer. Subway gone. Firehouse subs gone. All these Jimmy sandwiches. John's? Jimmy John's gone. Potbelly's gone. Jersey oh. Mike's? gone what is up with all these sandwich shops coming up? that's why i'm infuriated get rid of them you know what i'm gonna cancel your cancellation of sandwiches <laughs> the sandwiches are the greatest meal of all time you have all your four basic food groups in the palm of your hand you literally son of a bitch. i should have said no double cancels or something <laughs> you did oh all right joe it's your turn what are you canceling deer i'm just gonna cancel deer they drive me nuts here oh i got deer in my backyard they i, I can't grow nuts I can't grow anything in my house because they'll they'll eat it. That's it. As soon as anything with color pops up, it's gone. It's eaten. It's deer. Damn wildlife. And you know what? They're they're afraid to get on Twitter, so we can't even tweet at them. No, they're can't as bad even as, tweet at the deer. They're bad as the Amish. You know, Amish Twitter, worst <laughs> thing in the world. I'm canceling that too. Amish Twitter and Amish talk radio. They're worst. They're so snobby. Love it. Love <laughs> it. Everybody. We're, we're not heard it here. We're not taking calls and we're not going on the air. We're Amish talk radio. <laughs> Feel oh, it in the air. We have one more honorary uh, cancellation that I think uh, I know me and Murray will agree on. Robert Ginty, you're done. <laughs> Wherever you are today, you're done. Yes, you should be erased from history. <laughs> Scrubbed. <laughs> oh, poor Robert. <laughs> he's 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 probably at home listening on his transistor radio going why me well unfortunately he's dead i wish he was alive <laughs> that he could feel our hate but no he's dead so if you're are uh, we sure are we sure because uh, only only his agent knows if he's truly dead you know he can still get bookings cancel his death and then cancel his life <laughs> that's it oh oh I feel great exercising all those demons. I know. It feels I, don't even, I don't know if I want to even talk about that. We had much. some fun. What? We got we got anger out. <laughs> so now I, I think, Murray, I think we're ready. Ready for the trailer? I think we're ready. Well, if you listen to that rambling we just did for 15, 20 minutes, you must have a death wish. <laughs> well, we have a death wish, too. See what I did there? <laughs> it happened once before. Some muggers followed my wife and daughter home from the market. It's about to happen again. The police there got a very good description of the muggers, too. But it didn't do any good. We do what we can. And so does he. Is this your daughter, Mr. Kersey? Mr. Kersey? Is that Carol? When murder and rape are the crimes, Bronson is the only punishment. Charles Bronson, Death Wish 2. There's something else you should know, sir. Paul Kersey now lives in Los Angeles. Oh, my God. Now you tell me there's a vigilante out there. 
You believe in Jesus? Yes, I do. Well, you're going to meet him. He killed nine people in New York City four years ago. The people he killed were muggers. He became a hero. What did he look like? He was... Uh, he was a very good citizen, that's what he was. That guy saved our lives, damn it. Where the hell were you guys? Giving out parking tickets? When violence rules the city. When the police can't stop it. One man will. His way. Watch out! Charles Bronson. Goodbye. Death Wish 2. He's doing it for you. And welcome back. You probably heard a great jam in that trailer because I don't know how this happened. I have a feeling Joe can help us out here. But first movie, soundtrack, Herbie Hancock. Second movie, Jimmy Page. Joe, what's going on here? Okay, well, now... now, um... This is uh, from Julie, because one of the guys who uh, edited the film uh, with Arnold Crust, we'll get to that later, is Julian Similian, who was actually a guy I worked with at the North Carolina School of the Arts. After I graduated, he came in to be an editor there, and he was co-editor on this. And uh, when he got hired, he thought Herbie Hancock was going to come back. That was the original word. And he was excited because I guess him and Herbie have the same religious background. And he was going to discuss philosophy and stuff with Herbie. Oh, and then cool. he gets yeah. Then, then he gets told immediately, uh, nope, nope, we're getting Jimmy by Michael Winter. He's like, no, I've got Jimmy Page coming in. Because uh, <laughs> according to him, rock and roll crowd will respond more to Jimmy Page than Herbie Hancock. So that was the initial uh, thing. But as I dug deeper, it turned out that uh, Michael Winter's house was next door to Jimmy Page. So the two kind <laughs> of knew each other. And right. this was at the time after... Uh, well, after the disaster, after Zeppelin fell apart. Well, not fell apart, but you know. Is there any truth to the rumor Trump. that this movie broke up Led Zeppelin? No, is that true. No, this is this was oh, after okay. Led Zeppelin. Jimmy was basically they were trying. Peter Grant, his manager, was trying his hardest to get Jimmy to uh, get off the you know the demons. We'll just say that we'll we'll say the demons. And, Jimmy, there's uh, more riffs you can steal from old blues guys. Come on. <laughs> yeah, and, and and you don't have a singer anymore who can get you sued because he reused the same Ooh Baby as Chuck Berry or something, you know? But uh, so so they made a deal. Peter Grant made it, makes a deal with Michael Winter that Jimmy will do the soundtrack for free. Whoa. In, in order to get Jimmy, because his, his idea was, I just need to get Jimmy to do a project and I know it's not going to have any hit singles or any of that crud. So Jimmy will do it for free, but we maintain the right to release the soundtrack. So that yes. came out, I believe. So that was that was part of the deal. So Jimmy was the man at that point because I think Herbie might have wanted to get paid. You know, uh, that's it, like a modern deal where they were like, "Jimmy, we'll pay you in exposure." He's a he was the original uh, music gram. Well, we, we forget to mention yeah. this is the first Death Wish done by Golan Globus. That's a classic yeah, Globus move. I mean, you're you're reading off the credits to us right now, Murray. So why don't you why don't you carry us through? <laughs> you set me up, and I'm like, I have nothing. What do you want? Me you to don't do? even remember the opening scene? Oh, I thought going in the movie. I thought we were still talking <laughs> no, about going in the movie, man. We got to get through this movie. <laughs> 
we got to keep it okay. under oh. four hours. <laughs> okay, well, I was just going to inject here that that unfortunately Julian, yeah. because of the way it was set up with Jimmy Page, never got to see Jimmy. No, oh. <laughs> no. Jimmy, Jimmy hid in his home studio or wherever he was recording. It was a very minimalistic. Uh... Job. I can see why he did it for free. I don't even remember it. I didn't notice much <laughs> only, of the sound. Only thing I remember is the going to kill people theme. I like these that's, accents you're throwing at me with that's your hands. That's yeah. where we're going to start the episode with. Okay. Because that's the only one I remember. Let's see if I remember it. That's the hit. Paul hits the streets with his stocking cap. Yeah, his mm-hmm. own stocking cap, man. It's good, yeah. it's good shit. So, Griff, yes. We open up. It's we had to see. I love L.A., but do we really love L.A.? Because it looks like hell. I mean, it was eighty-two L.A. Smog everywhere. We've been talking about L.A. way too much in our recent movies, and yeah, this is eighty-two L.A. Angel Town, Lionheart. You got everything bad on the streets right now. Yeah, so it was shitty yeah. in in eighty-two. It was shitty in ninety, and it was shitty whenever Angel Town came. In. It's a shitty town. I've been oh. there. It sucks. Although it looks like L.A., you know, my favorite part when they pan near the harbor. I think you see that, what used to be what used to be Allen Hale's lobster barrel. His, lobster the, barrel. The, the skipper from Gilligan had his own seafood restaurant within that little uh, that little place there. Oh. Well, we've always said if you want to show the place where all scum comes, it's it the harbor. Because probably, yeah, it's all this, probably, the scum in the war zone of L.A. must have shut it down. Every <laughs> drug deal goes down there. Every murder. Arbors, stay away from water, people. How many times you got to tell you? And uh, this is kind of interesting how they did this because as we're going through the harbor and everything, we hear uh, a British woman come over the radio and talk about the crime statistics. Which, as we know, they're just they're over over five thousand and thirty two rapes last week alone. I forget what our ten thousand murders. I forget what our numbers were. The stats were last uh, five years ago in, in New York. But over here, five years ago or two, because they say both. They do. Movie. They yes. confuse their own timeline. Yes, oh, do. Jesus. Well, it's a David Lynch movie now. And time is an well, the voice Hope is us. played by a woman, but Jill Ireland, the real life wife of Charles Bronson. So that was his wife. Yes. yes. Okay. And we, if you're a Charles Bronson fan, you have to endure Jill Ireland because he makes her be in every one of his fucking movies from the 70s to the 80s. Oh. They, they were a package deal. Yeah, he demanded, and that's why you notice nothing happens to her because that's his real life wife. I was going to say, you know, we always say like, do not go near Paul Kersey if you're a woman or Bad human thing. being. You're gonna die. Well, you'll be raped and killed if you're a woman, but if you're a guy, you'll just be killed. There's a, I feel like there's a few people that survive around Paul Kersey, but yeah, you're right for the most part. But yeah, we got we got uh, Paul's new lady. He comes, I believe, he comes back home or. We open up at his house, and he's got a maid. He's living it up big time. Well, he's like the in-house in architect for a, a radio station. I didn't know they had those. I, I didn't know. <laughs> I, I I wish it was Frazier's uh, radio station, but that's up in Seattle. So that would have been cool. That's a real see. radio station. That was it. Actually, a radio station. Oh, well, tell that me, was, did they that do, was, did it? That is actually they, KABC. They're concrete? for real. What did they go with the concrete or the marble? That's all I want to know. <laughs> I think they went with the marble. I think they went the you know with the angels. Wow. Yes, with the angels. You know, people are going to hear you yelling over Joe about the concrete. <laughs> the concrete. That's what I wanted to know. These guys are they the left worst. us hanging with that. I, I think, thought they were going to go concrete because it's cheaper. I think the angels were supposed to look like Paul Harvey 
I really do. You know, the God, the patron saint of uh, talk radio. Oh, God. With the teeth. Barb's got the biggest teeth I've ever seen. Besides Gary Busey. I want to see oh. them fight, teeth fight each other. <laughs> <laughs> so the, he's planning on picking up his daughter, Carol, who apparently has a Benjamin Button disease because she's actually gotten younger. Yes, yeah, she has. She was an adult woman. She's about 30 in the first movie. Now she's like a child. I think it was the way they dressed her. Yes, that was it was. Say, I might take heat for this. I thought I thought that was the most offensive thing about this movie in that, okay, something traumatic happened to her, but she's like regressed like a childlike state now. I was I was getting the same vibe off that. I was like, I I, I don't know about this guy's like to make <laughs> her just like I'm an infant again, you know, I'm a three year old. Right. Like she picks up a shiny object in a minute here and she's like <laughs> Whoa! Like, don't give her a rabbit. I mean, I'm glad that her fucking husband Jack is out of the picture because he fucking un- Jack the shit out of We were, by the way, we were right about our our um uh, uh um our uh, not philosophy, but our uh insight on Jack because that guy was totally fucking around all over the place. That's why he's not in the picture anymore. I'm just glad she's under the care of her father who loves her. Anyways, yeah. she, Carol is improving. And uh, as we hear Jerry, or uh, Jerry, yeah, Jerry is his girlfriend in this. We hear her voice on the radio, and Rosario's like, your girlfriend's not going to be here anytime soon. She's still on the radio. And Bronson has to snicker at his help and be like, look, you don't understand how the business works. She recorded that like a week ago. So she actually is making up stats. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, she is. She's making up Fake stats. news. It Fake was right that Trump knew what he was talking about. Everybody. Huh? <laughs> But yeah, so Jerry shows up. They go. They pick up Carol from the institution where we learn that in – yeah, you're right. Two years is what they drop <laughs> yeah. on him right here. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's like she she's only getting younger. She's pooping and peeing herself again like a child <laughs> and uh, you know she really likes Sesame Street. It's the magic <laughs> of L.A. living, man. They all just get so much younger under the sun. That's got to be it, Yeah. Well, except for Bronson, who looks older. <laughs> <laughs> well, you already have a leather face when you get that sun on there. He's not polishing like he should. He, he's using normal human moisturizer when he should be using leather polish. Yes. <laughs> Buffing his face. So, yeah, they're going to go to a little, like, uh, outdoor festival, I guess, you know. Yeah, it was a kite festival <laughs> because the daughter <laughs> is obsessed with kites. Yeah, I thought you liked kites, right? You're the <laughs> when you were a baby. Does anybody fly kite? Did you ever fly a kite in your life? Hell yeah. Okay, because that was a big part of my childhood, too. Every March, because March is the windiest month. Yes. We would get a kite, and we'd fly it, and I'm thinking, that's the most boringest fucking thing you could ever do, but we loved it. Joe, did you ever fly a kite? I I have, but I gotta say, I've never fl- flown a kite in a downtown plaza in L.A. <laughs> I it's like the worst place to have a kite kite festival. It's like, you know, instead of like on the, you know, near the sea at some like little park thing or something like that. Now nah, we're having some gritty downtown place where you can probably step on some, you know, some old syringes or something to puncture the tail of your kite. Well, Joe, the whole city is the shithole. We learned that the first opening credits, you know. I love that you pointed that out, too. I wasn't even thinking about that because every when you thought about when you flew a kite as a kid, yeah. you were on a grassy Open field, field yeah, and everything. Exactly. Go back me, to school. Me, too. Yeah. And, but no, this yeah. scene is in a parking lot it's on blacktop in between buildings oh my gosh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so, you, much- you do what you grow with 
And you pointed out, Griff, she she likes shiny objects because she's, she's an infant. So there's a table of these little glass-like trinkets, figurines. So she's just like, ah, you know, and then she points out a little kitty. A little kitty. And and uh, he's like, well, you, you you can pick out one thing. I'm going to go get some ice cream. Yep. So he goes to get the ice cream. And, of course, if, <sighs> Scum of the Earth is hanging out looking for. You know what music I did remember in this movie was the boombox music that they were always listening to because they had the little boombox that they would gather around right. and jiving with. Uh, their music was always just like nothing you would uh, associate with gangs. You know, it was just like. It was Herbie. Well, look at you judging gang members. They can have different tastes. They can That's, like you know classical. what? You're right. You're right. So that they sound like the opening from Tattletales. <laughs> it might have been. I don't know where I've heard that jingle, but it's in my head. TV, TV's greatest I, game shows. Forget. I was down getting more a match game vibe. So Paul, Paul, he's got like a sixth sense for scum. So he just noticed in the corner of his eye and he gives him an evil glare. Yeah, he he makes eye contact with one of them, one of them, and then the five of them are like, "I don't like the way that guy looked at us." This is like uh, one of the uh, Chappelle skits when keeping it real goes wrong. That's what this whole scene's about to turn into, because now that Bronson has given them a dirty look right back to him, want to point out like much of our movies, very diverse gang. I like that. Yeah, very diverse. Every race represented. Yep. Or it's Fishburne. Yeah. I always shocked because I, I thought he was Larry Fishburne at this time, but in the credits it says Lawrence, Lawrence. Fishburne the third. Yeah, so third. he had those sleek little sunglasses the on, punk rock sunglasses. I, I liked it. Called. I liked it. it. Well, I think they said I was doing my IMDb scans. Scan, you know, I don't read it all, but they they gave him like carte blanche to like create their own looks. So that guy did come up with his as you thought punk cut, but I, the skull it. He came up with that. And yeah. he said, I'm going sh- to take my eyebrows off. That looks like what a rapist would do. <laughs> so I liked it that they all had their individual looks. Because you had the guy that looked like John C. Riley. Yeah. And then you had Lawrence Fishburne with his look. It was great. Yeah. I like. Um... Oh, I... oh, go ahead, Joe. I just want to know where he got the pink sunglasses from, you know, because those those really set the character apart. <laughs> he He really did pop for me. I did like him. But I was going to say, like. All the villains in the uh, – I don't know if I watched 4 and 5, but all the villains in the first three Death Wishes movies really stand out. And I think it's because every one of them got into the whole idea and did their own thing because, I mean, Giggler stands out to me. There's always a giggling, you know. Goldblum and his jug hat and his friend Mob's going <laughs> to – His friend Baron Von Raschke. <laughs> yes, Baron Von. Oh, man. And – well, what was I gonna? Oh man, there was something I was gonna mention about. Well, because it, it was like that warriors vibe. That's what I want to see in my gangs. Yeah. I, I put a tweet up there. I said, "Gangs, this is what you. There's no individualism anymore. They all all gang members wear like sports gear now. You know, yeah. it's like do what the '70s gang members. Do. So we're getting we're getting stun locked on the first moments of the movie again. <laughs> I'll try to move us along. The <laughs> the the eye contact has been made. Keeping it real is about to go very wrong because uh, uh I was gonna say Watson. <laughs> Who is Watson? Uh, Paul opens up his wallet and the guys step up and they they just snatch it. He was gonna use like a fifty dollar bill to pay for a dollar's worth of ice cream. I kind of think Paul's an asshole. That's a mean thing to do to somebody. Be like, I want change well, for this fifty. Well, oh yeah. Well, I guess Jiverth agreed because he grabbed his wallet. Take off, 
Bronson is a stuntman run for him because I believe he's like 60. He's like 60, time. yeah. It's got a sweet members only jacket on. I gotta say, I like that. It was good. Uh, you know, you know what got me that they he had to cut the label off the members only jacket. <laughs> so you well, could place, man. So so there was a it was like members only. He's like, uh, oh, we don't want to be. You can wear the jacket, but not the label. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like you're not that. a member, Paul. No, I like this commitment to not advertising because I feel like everything you see today is just over the top advertising stuff. And so they were just like, we're not going to advertise that. I mean, you knew it was a members only jacket, but you didn't know. Well, I'm a member. Of course I know. Well, yeah, of course you don't. So I follows them down an alley. They all get away, but one, Jiver. Yeah, they split up. They know how to do do gang tactics. Jiver thinks he can get one. He's, he's like, this is elderly, man. I think I can take him. So he pulls out the switchblade. And Paul just grabs like some cardboard, fails the, the switchblade yeah. on the cardboard. He's, he's 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 cleaned up Chicago. Remember, in between these two movies, he cleaned Chicago up. That's right. Yes, he did. So he knows he's 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 an old pro at this now. Don't so. tell how you know. I'm going to go back and delete that part because Hollywood's going to hear you say there's missing gap in the <laughs> Death Wish right, series, yeah. and they're going to call up Bruce Willis, and there's going to be a three hour Death Wish 1.5. Seth Rogen only hope. Oh jeez! Oh. <laughs> he giggles, so I'd be great. <laughs> what if? What if he? Was How about just this? Seth Rogen Rogan and Joe Rogan, the Rogans, the, the Rogans boys. As a gang, too, I I like this idea a lot. I actually, you know what? Never mind, Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> Call us up. <laughs> so Paul handles the guy easily. Kicks this guy who's like young enough to be his son. This was Jiver, right? Jiver. Okay. And uh, he gets his wallet back, right? No, no he does not. not get his wallet back. No. Okay. Yeah. But he just, sla- so he just gets the satisfaction of slapping around a guy who robbed him. Right. He's, I don't have your wallet. I don't have your money. So Paul takes his knife, throws it. Uh, it's just like over a fence or something. And then walks away to go back to join his family. So the gangers still have his wallet. And Paul goes back to join his family, where the daughter is still staring at that cat. And she steals it. She did steal it. So it, by, his, by Paul's rules, he should have to kill her. She's a thief. I think Jerry bought it. Oh, uh, you know, mm, I think she I don't got know. Him, no, no, no. I think Jerry got embarrassed waiting for him to show up, and she ended up having to pay the guy after he got the. Uh, well, what are you going to do with her? I'm going to take it away from that kid. You know, break her heart. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean. This was just like a little table, so there was probably only one person looking at it, and then the vendors just sitting there watching these people look at the same object for. So I'm sure to avoid the awkwardness, you know, they're just like, "Here's, here's the five dollars." Yeah, and then Paul comes back, doesn't even have the ice cream, and they're like, "Where's it?" It's like, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm lactose intolerant. I just found out that, so no ice cream. <laughs> oh, Let's go fly a kite, and they just go <laughs> off a fly a kite. I just like. Oh, wait, the no, they go right. They go the boat. Yes, I was going to say, they go to the boat with some old sea captain. Maybe he was a skipper. He was like, ahoy! And they get on the boat. Jerry's like, I got some work I got to do. Yeah, she's talking to a senator or something. She is talking to a senator about mm-hmm. all this out-of-control crime that's going on. She, uh, she's she got the whole Steven Seagal complex thing kind of going on here where Paul Kersey is the Steven Seagal. And she's just like, I don't know how to live my life without you around. Because she's like, should I cancel it? He's like, this is a good opportunity for you. Yeah, I know, but should I cancel it so I can go on the boat with you guys? Other days to go on the boat. 
I'm pretty sure I should cancel. It's like, come on, Jerry. Calm down. Go do well, your- you got to catch like Paul Kersey. Come on. <laughs> I like that you use catch like a like a mitt, like a catcher's <laughs> mitt, because Paul has got a catcher's face. I, I uh, just like yeah, that go- Paul, Paul doesn't seem to care about his credit cards getting canceled. No, maybe he's deep in debt, so he's just like, fuck <laughs> it, you know? <laughs> I guess so. It's like, I can't imagine anyone being more casual about their car, their, you know, their wallet being stolen than Paul there. Like, oh, well, don't need to cancel nothing. You know, it's like, yeah. Amex, whatever. Let the kids get what oh. they need. We got my Diners Club card. <laughs> cancel that. This is AARP. This movie Telly, club. He's got his international players card specifically given to him by Telly Savalas. He's got his, he's got his subway card. He's got nine like, cutouts, uh, like punched, oh. and he's like, one more. I could have had that sandwich. He can't have that sandwich because I canceled him. <laughs> that's what puts him over the edge. Yeah, that's got to be He's it. like, I was one away from that sandwich. You could, like, you could still go to Subway. They just can't put the top bun on. There's plenty of loopholes to get around. Open face. It's just an open face. And you that's can't... it. That's yeah. the new thing. I'm gonna open the first open face chain yeah. of restaurants. Yeah. Okay. So they just go on a nice boat ride, and we go back to Paul's house. And it's like, why do we get to watch his maid cook him like a nine course dinner? Like, what's the point of this? Well, we see a band roll up, and uh, we got all of our gangers in there, and they're giggling because that's what rapists do. They giggle a lot. Right. They're sick. They haven't even been smoking their weed yet. They're just giggling. Well, they they do light up a joint right before they do. Oh, you're right, you're right. This is this is just like uh, in Clockwork Orange. You drink the Maloco. <laughs> so they send this creepiest member of the gang to go to the door. Why? And you know what? This is the same gag they did in the first movie. Delivery. It's your right. groceries. But Rosario, she's she's probably from the barrio. She's from Angeltown. So she knows that she knows the deal. She looks out the window and sees there's a fucking creepy looking motherfucker. I know. I love the fact that she fucking screams. <laughs> I I would scream too if yeah. there was a guy with that mullet outside of my house. No eyebrows, wearing like a safari suit. It he was didn't crazy. Have eyebrows? <laughs> yes, he had no eyebrows. He shaved them off. You said he was in the Paul Jones army. <laughs> yeah. So, so he's just a distraction. Even they know that he's not. No one's going to open the door for that creep. So yeah. Lawrence Fishburne, they sneak up and just break. The, why do they need that? They break the back window out. Yeah. Hmm. Jump in, giggling like maniacs because they're they're high on the weed. Yep, and they convinced to do, do a really brutal rape of this woman. I don't know how to put. I can't make that funny, guys. I'm sorry. This is why we still haven't done uh, Kinshite forbidden subjects because <laughs> yeah. Bronson has a thing for rape. He's really into saying I. Cannot tell you how much I hate rape, so I'm going to put it in every single one of my movies. Was it him, or was it, I think Michael Winter was the one? Because I think he actually did. Go, no, we're having a rape in this. In this movie. Okay. Have any other way to motivate my hero than to have a horrible rape in his life? What's the odds? It happens to you in New York, then it happens to LA. But in the <laughs> why 80s, does he have it, a better security it, system? Uh, I think he thought LA I, was better. He was like, I, I escaped. I don't. I mean, Land not even a people in his door. How can oh, how geez, can this man, man do this? He he, he is nothing. He, he spent, you know why? Because he spent all his money on those macrame owls on his wall. That's why. You know why? Because he has he has the hunger for murder now. So he's actually setting up scenarios where he has to kill people. Maybe that's, that's it. Why. Yeah, he's probably like inviting people onto his lawn and all the time. And your wait, California doesn't stand your ground. 
<laughs> he's, he's probably one of those guys who leaves empty brand new TV boxes out by the garbage for six days, hoping someone will bust in the house. There we go. Yeah, for sure. He definitely is trying to lure in the creeps. The baiter. So they're just brutalizing this poor maid. Yeah, they're taking turns. At one point, they're like, get that. Take he noticed at one point Nirvana, who's the John C. Riley guy, the leader. I, was, I assumed he was the leader of the gang. He's almost disgusted by it at first. Yes. And then he's like, fuck it. When in Rome and just joins in like later on. Yeah. I think it was because they, they were like doing it in the living room. He's yeah, like, I think that's too. He's like, no, sex is for the bedroom. Exactly. He's just like, this is offensive to me. He's If he were Paul Kersey and Death Wish 1 on the beach, he'd be like, we're not fucking on this beach. That's that's for the bedroom. Yeah, I'm a civilized rape. Exactly. Okay, you know. So, yeah. So, all right. She's getting raped. They're out of the boat. They come back. Yep. They're, they're keeping a lookout because they're like, we know he's going to be back sometime soon. And, uh... Of course, Paul shows up. He opens the door. He's got Carol with them. Oh, whatever Rosario's cooking, it smells delicious. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, yeah, they get jumped, and Carol starts having PTSD. It's just a horrible. She's just comatose. She might be on the spectrum. She's just like, I maybe she's like, it's my like maybe they won't notice me if I don't move. I don't know. <laughs> but just, Paul, just locked up. He, right? Paul puts up a fight, but he's sixty. I mean, there's five guys. Even Bronson can't do that. But they know it's enough of a distraction that Rosario runs to get the phone to call yeah. the cops. And they notice that, so they bash her, gave her skull in with a crowbar. Did, yeah, did they kill her? They killed her. They killed yeah. her? They okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they just knock out Paul, and they're like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not done raping yet. Let's grab that girl. Let's go. Yeah, they, they, this was a, I think this was kind of a motivation in Death Wish 1 as well. We got to kill her because she saw us. But it was like, Carol saw you too, and you left her alive. And in this movie, they're like, grab that girl because she saw us alive. And so that's why they kidnapped Carol. But, I mean, apparently they killed Rosario, but they didn't kill, they didn't kill Paul. No. They just assumed well, he was dead. You look at him, I assume he's dead. I mean, he's, he's walking around. He looks like he's dead. So It's, it's like they've already, they've already killed two people in this room. Why, why, why do they have to hold back on a third? If she yeah. saw us. But I mean, then we I get... miss out on the next scene. Yeah, right. yeah really. The, the, the... Not <laughs> horrific. Because Michael Winter wanted another rape stick. One and one, two and two. Exactly. Sense. They were like, how do we step up our tragedies from the first one? Two can, rapes. Can I, can I talk a little bit about Michael Winter for a second? Go ahead. But from from Julian when he uh, the first time when he met to meet Winter because he Julian had worked with the guy who uh, what was the name? Uh, Bernie Gribble, who cut the original Death Wish. And Julian had done a couple films, including Motel Hell with Bernie. And he recommended him for Death Wish 2. And he shows up at the uh, at the office to meet to meet him and to meet Michael Winter. And the first thing Michael Winter says when he extends his hand to shake it is, We've already started this relationship off in a bad way. It's gonna end even worse. And he is—he's—he's like an—the only reason he—he took a a liking to Julian was because Julian's girlfriend was someone he knew, and so he was cool with that. But Winner would hand out the Wit and Wisdom of Michael Winner book, which included such wonderful phrases as, "We all know you're an idiot. You don't have to prove it over and over again." And of course, my favorite teamwork is a lot of people doing what I say. So Michael, Mike, Michael was not. Uh, we'll just say this, uh, Michael, not the sweetest man alive. Jeez, misunderstood genius. I say. It sounds like I, a misunderstood genius. Yeah. 
Did he come it, back for the third one too? Yes, he, he did. did. Well, the, now you have to also remember he he's the editor. He, the other there, there's a uh, the co-editor is Arnold Crust, who's listed with Julian, and that is mm-hmm. Michael Winner. That's his fake oh. name he used to cut this. And he cut he <laughs> cut uh, part three by himself as Arnold Crust. And I couldn't get confirmation, but I get a sense, especially dealing with Golden Globus, that Michael Winner probably used a fake editor name to ensure he could get paid for editing. Oh man, he's double dipping. Instead of well, not Michael so much. Cross is a, Michael Cross is a great punk rock name. I do like that, that name. Yeah, it is. But but aren't yeah he but but I get the idea that it was kind of like because a lot of times with these studios, I know with Corman, it was like, well, you uh, I know you directed and you wrote the script, but we're just gonna pay you for directing. Thank you, you know, kind of. We know you edited and directed, but we're just gonna pay you for this. So it's like right. well, Arnold. Arnold, my my poor suffering friend Arnold, who you'll never get to meet. He needs his money, you know. Please, please, <laughs> guys, pay him. His family's starving. And make it out to know. cash. Yeah. Well, at this point, at this point, wasn't it like Canon the only people that would employ Michael Winter? I mean, pretty much. Do anything well, I think else? this is uh, this was after one ton ton the dog that saved Hollywood. So, yeah, this is pretty much the you know that moment of uh, I'm back, you know. But, you know, he's not going to act like this was his last chance because he's Michael Winner. So he acted like he was born to do this because he's a winner. I directed Death Wish. And I believe he was featured in one of the Golden Globus uh, documentaries for Death Wish 3 because they, wasn't it uh, the rape scene in that, the one woman from Star Trek yeah. Next Gen? And there was a whole thing about that. And so I kind of got the idea Michael Winner was. Yeah, he refused for her to be covered up yes. like, in between, like, Shooting. shooting yeah like, so no that was yeah. how i got to know who who michael winter was as a director was because of that he's he did yeah, half of the I, movies he did were with bronson i think maybe he did a bunch i think it, he did, did he do the mechanic did he direct that i think so i think he directed double check. yeah that's a good movie i like the mechanic <clears throat> but anyway back to this movie yeah yeah so we have kidnapped carol and it really is kidnapping the situation because she has the mentality of a three-year-old at this point. Right. So, <laughs> high wings. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. So, so we, we have gone back to the gang headquarters, and I, I guess this is the warehouse. hangout. And I, they even decorated it pretty well, too. <laughs> she was, it was very warm and inviting, yeah. Yeah. And Carol's just, she's going into her happy place inside her head. She's just like, you know, she's traumatized. Yeah, she knows it's coming. So she's just sitting there like. I feel like this actress watched the movie Tommy recently and saw how, what's his name from uh, The Who acted Roger in that. Daltrey. Yes. How he acted out Tommy. He was like, I'll just do that. Because. Well, she did, she did play a little pinball before she got raped. I though, did see so. that pinball play. But she was obsessed with a shiny object just like Tommy. I'm putting it together. So they're like, hey, like, they're all worried. And then uh, Cutter, Lawrence Fishburne's character, he's like, look, they think we all look the same. Don't worry about it. We're, we're cool. We can rape her all we want. So that punk cut, I think punk cut was the like the little black guy. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So him and Jiver, they're sex freaks. So they're just having a good old time. Other guys are just hanging out watching. I don't know. It's very strange. Yeah. The- after the brutalism of the first scene, they were like, let's have this one be a little calmer because Carol's not saying or reacting at all. She's just letting things happen. Um, and then suddenly she just gets up and fucking books. Well, she buttons her shirt up. She oh, yeah. She, she looks- very calmly, <laughs> yes. calmly buttons up. Yeah. And then just yeah. leaps out a window. 
Right, and getting, it's impaled on a wrought iron fence. I'm going to so, get wanna... up to the stunt person. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah. So I want to. I point out later at the end, Paul Kersey says this guy raped and murdered my daughter. They did not murder her daughter. She she killed herself. Yeah, she killed herself. So okay, I'm just pointing that out. Yeah. So yeah. So so she's dead. The cops come to the house. They're like, "Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Kersey, your your daughter's dead." And it, it was much like the first movie. It was just matter yeah. of fact. Like you know, this is the world we live in. She's dead. And he's like, "What?" And they're like, Again? "We need you to like." <laughs> it's Home Alone too. He slaps his face in front of the mirror. No, again. <laughs> and they're like, "Do you want to press charges?" Like they don't even care. They're just like, you know, dusting for prints. Yeah. And they're like, "I'm so." He's like, "I just want to tell you, we're not going to find them." Yep. Right off the bat, don't yeah. worry about it. We're not going to find them. But if you want to go down to the morgue and identify the body, you can do that. So yeah. She does do that. She's got, like, stitches all over her face. Why do they stitch her up? I guess I guess they try to bring her back to life, but she died at the hospital or something. So we quickly see her. They identify her. Next thing you know, we're having the funeral. And then Paul's boss is there. And he's you would like, think he'd want to have her buried in Connecticut with his the mother. With the mother. Yeah. yeah but he's just, like, yeah. dumps her in L.A. Yeah. Well, I guess remember there was that big snowstorm during the funeral for his wife. So he was like, "I don't want to deal with that. I'm old. I can't deal with cold. I can't deal with the cold and snow." So they'd bury her in L.A. My face can't deal with the dry, you know, (laughs) heat, dry, cold winter. (laughs) Chapping, chapping. Exactly, exactly. So his boss goes, "Look, uh, I know this is bad. I'll give you a week. Then you gotta get back to work. Give you one whole week, (laughs) but." You can do it at my cabin, and you know, you know, we've 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 known for watching these movies how revitalizing nature is, and how the best way to train for any kind of tournament fight is through nature. Yes, and that's what he he actually does a favor to Paul. He's like, use my cabin one week. Toilet doesn't work, but you can chop a lot. Why are there? Can you chop Robin some wood, wood for me? That's it. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's like I Ivan Drago, you know, Rocky getting ready to fight Drago in Rocky Four. Remember? Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And he's just abusing the wood. It's the wood's flying into a river. He doesn't even care about the wood. He's just chopping, chopping, chopping. And then he realizes I'm ready to kill now. I like this because it's like we get maybe two seconds to mourn over Carol. Just just that quick cut. And even his wife in the first movie got like a second. But there was a third person involved in the in that whole horror scene. She's a, she's help. Who cares? Like, and yeah, they just yeah. completely no no <laughs> need just, to mention they it. They just left her there lying naked <laughs> in that scene. I mean, God, could you just put like a uh, Michael Winter move? Michael like, Winter sheet on her for fuck's sake. Yes. Oh, oh. God. Oh, it's you know. It's, I mean, the, the you know, poor poor Rosario. There, there's no mention. You don't even have like I need to send some funerals to her, you know some flowers to her funeral. You know. <laughs> Right, it's like whatever. Nothing. Throw her in the dumpster out back. She's she's illegal. Nobody will miss her. So he's like, now I'm ready to kill. I'm ready to go back to L.A. and get back to the old killing life. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing more to kill your 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 libido than seeing your your you know daughter get kill your get killed. Yeah. Well, we know that Paul. Paul Curse, he's a man of the ladies. You know, he's a ladies' man, if you will. <laughs> yes, I'd say man of the ladies, but he is a. <laughs> Damn it! This one sucks when you do shit live. Um, but yeah. So is in the first movie after his wife died, he was like, "I gotta murder someone and get my get my dick working again." He's immediately like, "I just gotta go fuck this one off." 
Oh, that's an amazing insight, Griff. Do you think maybe he turned his wife down in the beginning of the movie because he can't get it up anymore? And then he finally starts getting erections because he's killing people. Oh. It's a sex thing. Yeah, it, it definitely is. Which okay. makes the point that Ames's point about guns being a penis, a, a phallic symbol and right. everything. It's called projection. Griff. Projection. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so he's ready to hit the streets. He, he, he kept a gun. He has a gun on him in his closet. He looks at it lovingly. <laughs> There's a picture of Ames hidden in the back there as well. Detective Mankiewicz shows up. He's like, look, we're not going to do anything, but we, we got to make it look like we're doing something. So you can come down one day and just look at some mug shots. No, I don't have time for that. No. And just walks away. Hits the streets of L.A., Griff. 1982 la punk scene is full throttle scum of the earth just walking everywhere you see it everywhere you got that fucking street magicians all this garbage people oh yeah motorcycle gangs riding on the sidewalk people juggling people you know selling crystals and shit just everything and then so pioneer Paul, chicken. First... Don't, pioneer don't forget the, pi- the pioneer chicken where all the punks were hanging out and he just I looks mean... at him with disgust <laughs> I love. I, I looked I, at the pioneer chicken. I I I I don't know if it was the chicken or the uh, you know because you know that fried stuff works bad on a stomach. I think after a while, for Bronson there, but but I found <laughs> out the the pioneer chicken pioneer chicken stand is now a mixed use property because somehow I looked up the the address. So you kids, if you run out to L.A. to hang out with some uh, conniving punks, you can't go to Pioneer Chicken anymore. It's gone. Oh, that's mm. too bad. COVID. God damn you, COVID. Yeah, when you got shut down by COVID. Small businesses, unlike so, Little Caesars, which, you know, got closed up by COVID as well because it's a small business. I did I like the Paul's fact that someone features. stole some. I, I like the scene where they, the, the person busts out the window of the car so they could steal some anonymous bag. You know, right. it's not a safe <laughs> neighborhood. All he sees is crime is happening everywhere and no one's doing anything. Everyone's so apathetic to it. They're just like, hey, this is life in the big city. And even better is uh, you saw it in Death Wish 1 as well. Paul's walking down these streets and it's the whole idea is supposed to be giving you this image of no one, no normal person, because Paul's a normal person, is willing to walk these streets. But then when they need to conveniently have somebody get harmed by the gangs, there's normal people like walking around in like a nice suit and dress and everything. And so we get to we get to see some of those people mixed in here, too. And it's like, Well, Paul decides I got to get my work clothes. So I like it's like a superhero thing. Like he has a costume. He goes to a thrift store, buys himself like a nice blazer and a stocking cap. And then he's like, "Well, I got to have a place where I can like like my bat my bat cave basically." Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he starts checking out the flop houses (laughs) of uh, L.A. I I just love how as we're walking down that street, it's just. Church after church after yeah, church with their, churches with like their 10 p.m. midnight services happening and there's there's people in there and they're all it's like each one of them is full too it's it's incredible it's a happening Way part of town to... yeah really for the for the church folk apparently skid, yeah, skid row <laughs> they're known skid for their Rose Jesus people. I got I have a question maybe you could help me out with this Joe because. You... We're similar age. What the fuck was going on with Harry Krishna shit in like the late seventies and early eighties? Was that like the peak? Because I never seen one in real life, but in the movies, Harry Krishna's everywhere. Oh yeah, no, Good no, man. it's 
it, it was it was pretty peaky. There, people were off running off and joining cults pretty quick. I remember the Moonies. Moonies <laughs> would pop up, but they weren't as you know they weren't as uh, hair transformable. I remember in the '80s, the Harry Krishnas would always try to invite you over from. I went, I went to NC State, and they would always be like, "Come over and have a vegan dinner with us and listen to music." Except they didn't tell you it was uh, Harry Krishna music, you know, which. I did like the fact that they did have that little sign with all their lyrics on it. So you could sing along at home or in the theater. Oh, there you go. You know? But uh, yeah, I just Harry remembered that. Go ahead. Oh, I'm just saying Harry, Harry Krishna seemed to pop up when you ever went to a major city, they were lurking ready to, uh, you know, make you join them. It was, it was what we had to join before they invented, uh, you know, Amway. <laughs> I just remember the lead singer Youth of Today got into Krishna shit, and, it, and it, there was a genre called Krishna core. Oh boy! And I oh. never, I never listened to it, but it exists. Oh, well, that's why you're uneducated. You should have been listening and enlightening yourself. Well, you could have, you could have been a belt. Li- I listened to the George Harrison, uh, George Harrison uh, song. Oh, okay. Hare Krishna. He got, that he got sued for because he stole it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he's hit. He's, he's looking at all the flop houses. He decides on the perfect one. It's $50 a month. We saw the mom and pop essence of it. Hand-painted <laughs> sign, you know. Asian immigrants. By the hour so much. By the day so much. He loved that touch. Even though I want to point out, he had a there was a better deal at another place where it was like, I think, $14 a week or something. And this one, $50 a month. It doesn't, doesn't add up. It's uh, you know look I'm, I'm just saying as somebody and somebody who uh, you know used to go out to LA I would have actually said you know what fifty dollars a month for this room is pretty much worth it you know <laughs> I, I I this is because remember remember it it really once he got inside nobody messed with him right no right. I mean, there wasn't there's, you, there's you, oh go ahead <laughs> oh I mean there's no there's no there's no I mean there's no dealers hanging around there was no hookers no. hanging around. Hell, there, there weren't even drummers. You know, there weren't even drummers living at that place. So it was just perfect. I mean, I could not think of a better getaway, my, you know, my L.A. retreat than this this wonderful. And by the way, it's the Southern Hotel that he was staying in. And, and, and here's the amazing thing. You guys might be familiar with the Southern Hotel because it, it, it was in not one, but two episodes of Starsky and Hutch. So it's a famous oh. hotel. Yeah, including Starsky versus Hutch. I, I've seen two what two and a half episodes of Starsky and Hutch. I think so. we need a new future tippy tap. Starsky versus I'm, Hutch. Yeah, good, yeah, that sounds good like episode. a good winner. But uh, but I just like the fact I want to know if this place advertised as come see the 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 you know celebrity hotel. We've had Starsky and Hutch and Death Wish two filmed here. Come now, <laughs> <laughs> live the dream. <laughs> but this is how they get you guys. It's five dollars extra for clean sheets. That that's how you always get. Yeah, that's the we trap. learned that from uh, Wait, the exterminator. Well, you, you, exterminator. Can get, you can get clean sheets at a hotel. When did they start doing that policy? For five bucks, five you can bucks, get anything, yeah. man. Wow. By clean, I mean they just air them out. Oh, I mean, and another they, piece piece of trivia about what? the hotel because there's a sign next to it that says Julian's Furniture up against the uh, against the uh, the hotel. Uh, Julian, my my the editor. Uh, swears he had nothing to do with the sign. That the, he doesn't know. If the, <laughs> the, he doesn't know if the art department just slapped his name on there as a you know normally a little tribute to somebody working on the film or not. He has no clue. Nobody nobody keyed him into it, so uh, he has no idea. But uh, there was also there was a sign that said Arnold Cross Cheats. 
Uh, <laughs> they were crusty the sheets. sheets. They were very crusty. Uh, I like it. So Paul has finished. He's got his new like he's little got everything hangout. set up. His yeah. lair, you know, he's ready. He's got his fucking costume. He's a superhero. Basically. This is he, this is what Marvel Batman. should be doing. Yeah, he's, he's Batman, Batman. And without he's, the wonderful toys. He's matches Malone, and in ninety minutes, mm-hmm. yeah. ninety minutes Disney. Yeah, I it, learned everything I needed to know. So he's got everything set. He goes back home, and we're we're into the next morning, and Jerry. Wakes him up. She has just walked into his house. She had a key. She had all of her clothes there. So I don't know why he's surprised by this because they're clearly on like right there and nearly getting married and everything. And you notice that he's finally found his true love, Lady Death. So <laughs> he he noticed he changes the keys. Like they never never plays a part in the movie at all that he changes the keys, the locks of his house. That never comes up later on, but he does because he wants Jerry out. Yeah. He's in love with that. And it's and it's right after this scene here because she wakes him up and he's got a gun sitting on the top of his dresser and he's just like, Oh, Jerry, what are you doing here? Why are you surprised? It's just me. I got the key. So it's a whole kind of they're trying to make this scene a little tense, like, oh shit, is she gonna find my gun and find out that I'm out murdering people or something? But he quickly is just like yeah. Jerry. Look, I uh, I'm gonna be a while in the bathroom. <laughs> He's like Vinny's, you know. I I had a late night at Vinny's the other day. You know the pastrami and nacho cheese. It does it work. Does a number on me. Jerry, I'm, I'm being here for an hour. Jerry's seen this song and dance before. Right. She's like, I'll get out of here. You know, you do your thing. I'll I'll get the Pepto Bismol and leave it in the mailbox because I'm not getting anywhere inside this house afterwards. Paul immediately, after he le- hears her car start up, he goes and calls the locksmith. It's like, cha- come over to my house, change the locks. Don't even give me the keys. Just change the locks, you know. Turn the toilet as well, because, oh, boy. <laughs> so, Paul, once again, he hits the streets. You got the Hare Christians. You got the bikers. You got Stomper. I like the fact that this gang, not only are they a diverse gang, but they, they like... Uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but they go off to other gangs. You know, like they're not just this one central gang. Sometimes they they like hang out with other gangs, and I like that. Yeah, you know, they're like they're they're meeting new people. Yeah, they they they're all kind of like friends of the friendly on these street parts here. Right, a reverse warriors, if you well, will. Well, they're like yeah, the like they, love they, each other. They're the go LinkedIn. Ahead. They're the LinkedIn generation. They're they're networking across the city. Yeah. <laughs> You know, <laughs> working their way up. The stopper's working his way up is what you're trying to say. So yeah. like, I... It's like they decided this one avenue, this is this is neutral ground. You don't do any shady sh- shit here. And, uh, you know, all the business happens uh, on, the, on the outskirts of this main strip here. And so uh, after our two gangs meet up, led by, who was it, Stomper leading? Yeah, it was Stomper, some other guy, and two cholos. Yeah. And they go off to this abandoned hotel. <laughs> I just saw this note that uh, that Joe put in. He's right. Bronson looks like Spock when Spock comes down to Earth and has to put on like a stocking cap to cover the points of his ears. Oh yeah. So he's like he he yeah. just happens to stumble on these guys. Yeah, you know, that's what that's what I liked about the first movie. It was very realistic in that he never knows who killed his wife. He never meets them. There's never a resolution. This one, he spots everybody. It's, I mean, it's L.A. What two, three hundred people live in L.A.? You know, it's probably easy to find the guy who raped your daughter. Incredibly small population, right? Like it's, small city. I've been there. It's small. It's uh, like you know, you just put a little classified in the back of the L.A. Weekly, and uh, it happens. You know, That's it. 
did, looking, did you, did did you it, kill hey. this person? <laughs> did you rape my daughter? If so, call this. <laughs> and you can't resist that. So, yeah, they, they go off to this abandoned hotel to, like, do their deal. Right. I don't know why they just didn't do it on the street, but again, I think it's, <laughs> I know. it's neutral territory. You don't do any drug deals. You don't do anything. You have to go off the main street strip. I think that's it. I don't know. There's no how, how other reason think... because – what? Do, do we get a rate on how much the hotel is a month? I, I didn't see that on the hotel. The the hotel they're at or the one that uh, Kersey's at? No, the one they've just come at for the drug deal. I'm, I'm guessing it's got to be less than 50 bucks a month, you know? I would think, yeah, there'd be a lot of squatters there. Yeah, I'm thinking that's just where the hobos hang out. Just reeks free, of pee and shit. Yeah. Free rats. And rats. Free rats. <laughs> yeah. I got a real rat night of terror. Great episode by us. Vibe there because the rats were everywhere. They were, and they were very just cool with people. They didn't, you know, they, they weren't. Yeah, they weren't uh, afraid of it at all because it was like this is our territory now. You're in the rats rat motel. Mm-hmm. So they're doing a deal, a drug deal. I think Stomper was selling drugs. I, you know what? It doesn't matter. There was drugs being exchanged here. Paul's on a staircase, just kind of peeping in. He's got his gun out and he's kind of squaring up a shot and everything. When you think he would like step on a rat and it would bark out or something, but there just so happened to be a, a, a some kind of can for a product I've never seen before in my life. Art department did a good job here because it looked like nothing I've ever seen before. And he hits it, and that you know causes alerts, a ruckus, alerts him. Yeah, and he just unloads, shoots the fucking one guy, lets the cholos go. We Paul's not a racist because he's like, you guys can go. <laughs> you got great style. Yeah. And like, you know, no, you stay. And like, because Stomper thought he was going to, he's like, I'm out of here too. And then he, he does the classic line. If you've seen Death Wish 2, you remember this part. Because Stomper's got a nice giant crucifix, huh? Yes, he does. Like, do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, man. Yeah, I do. Good. Because you're going to meet him. Boom! Just blows the motherfucker away. Just like that. And I like this. We see this in Death Wish uh, later on in the movie when. He has finished his murder. He's smiling, grinning ear to ear. It's somehow cutting through that leather face. His smile just creaking up there. Just, just moisturize, man. Just a little bit. But uh, I want to point out that uh, unlike the first movie where he just kills whoever's committing a crime, he's very focused in this movie. This is true. You're right. Because like you said, he let the Angel Town boys just go. He's just like, get out of here, guys. I saw that you were making drug deals, and I don't believe in drug deals. He just let him walk. That is that is progressive. He's progressing in his murder ways. So he goes back home to enjoy a nice glass of raging erection bur- bourbon or something. No, the, he has like uh, a. One, I don't know if this is. What was he it? Has, he has a non-fat non-fat milk with his cereal. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, he just had some cornflakes. Guy, guy <laughs> keep his guy keep his felt figure with the non-fat milk. You know. <laughs> I, I'm like. I'm immediately thinking because I forgot about that part. By the way, I did notice later on in the movie he leaves his milk out all the time. I would I know, not that, be drinking. That bothered yeah, me too, yeah, I would not be drinking milk with uh, fucking Paul Kersey. <laughs> maybe maybe he's got, coming out. Oh. Maybe he's got the AC set crank so high that it doesn't matter if it's in the <laughs> fridge or not. There we go. There we go. We solved it. Yeah. Oh again, my goodness! Once again, beauty beauty secrets of Charles Bronson. <laughs> keep the keep the hey. keep the AC at forty five. <laughs> 
Maybe the reason he's having a nice bowl of cereal, he's like, I've already got the erection. He's an older man. He's 60-something. He's, like, eating a nice fibrous cereal or something. Oh, yeah. And he's like, I'm going to I'm gonna jerk one off here because I got this beautiful erection. And then I'm going to have a good shit. So that's why. Well, he did have earlier with the Vinnies. But, yeah. yeah, he's like, he's, not only that, it's going so well for, uh, for Paul. He even got the prize at the bottom. He ate because he's one of those guys that. He's like, I will not put my hand down there to get the prize. Oh, I'm gonna get it when you I'm gotta, done. You got to work for your prize. Yeah, what your mom would make you do because you what? want. You always want the cereal that had the cool prize. Your mom's oh, like, yeah. you better fucking eat it. It it was always a plastic spoon that changed colors in the milk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was always some kind of piece of shit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, because you, know, you think he got yelled at if the box had a little bit of a bow to it, where she said, "I saw your hand go in there." You know, <laughs> push the cereal around. Oh yeah. See, Paul would have shot you. <laughs> so yeah, he's having that he's having that nice bowl of cereal as you do when you've murdered somebody. And he hits the street again. He's like, I got a Jones in for some killing. Yeah, we don't need to be worrying about what Paul's up to. We know he's just he's just in murder mode now. So we're just gonna go through like him recovering and him out on the streets. Did you notice? I think this is the scene. He's walking down the street. Someone's in the foreground, just like apathetically being strangled. It seems like, like somebody's like strangling a woman or something. And it's just like this is life in Angel Town. I wouldn't be surprised. I feel like all the people on the sets were just like, I want to be seen on this fucking movie. So they did something bizarre like that. So, yeah, it's just like I, you see prostitutes, drug dealers, everything. Well, my favorite part, the cowboy who's like shooting caps in front of the double feature of any which yes. way but loose and every which way you can. I mean, Clint Eastwood and that damn orangutan together. Ah, that was <laughs> that was some fine 80s filmmaking right there. Oh, yeah. I did it, love that cowboy. Yeah, they they, so they need to bring back the orangutan. Do, do we have any more orangutan movies lately or not? When's that getting a reboot? Any well, which way but loose. You know what would be better? The orangutan is in Escape from New York. He's got to escape. Oh, sure. <laughs> what would be better is if they you reboot every, every, any which way but loose, but they re- reverse the roles where the orangutan's a bare knuckle brawler and Clint Eastwood's just like burps or whatever the fuck the orangutan does. I don't remember what the orangutan does. <laughs> just so be hairy. Yeah. There we go. So he's hitting the streets. This fucking uh, rape scent starts tingling. Yeah, because like I like I had mentioned, we see nothing but muggers and gang people. But just because they need to ha- lead a scene somewhere, there's always an innocent couple who just I don't know what they were doing here in these nice dresses and suits. Because all it is is church. I, they were at church. Had church. to be at church. <laughs> Church. Nice <laughs> white couple with their black storefront shirt. Yes. It happens, you know. Sunday, 3 a.m. Yeah, mass. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's the best time to go. Griff, they're yeah, just, drugs. Okay. It's, it's, it. it's the after midnight mass. There we go. They probably met a couple, like a swinging couple, and they're like, hey, man, we live in the city. So that's probably why they were there. They were. And someone, you know, we, you've got a jacuzzi? We got a van. <laughs> party time <laughs> oh boy so they're in the parking garage Paul's rape sense is tingling here's he's like somebody's being raped rushes to it opens fire yeah this was in a uh, parking structure right right yeah parking garage 
And uh, he actually shoots two two random gangers. They I don't believe they were in our main gang here. There was uh, well, like I said, yeah, they diversified. Jiver's there with his other gang. Yeah, Jiver <laughs> with his other friends just doing <laughs> right. friends shit. Right. Oh, so they grabbed the woman. I, I bet they met up on Craig Craigslist. There's probably a Craigslist listing for that night that he uh, joined in on. Just. Just the telephone poles. They would just, you know, staple. Hey, looking for some cool people <laughs> to do some treacherous Dude, shit. The dark web. Take this one. is what happens on the dark web. Yeah. All right. Take, Take one. one. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's, he's LinkedIn. Hey, he's movie. He's networking. Do you like you know? rape? <laughs> so do I. How about we get together and rape people? Oh, and, you know, God. Call me at 555-RAPE. Have a really cool van. Would like to rape uh, oh. passerbys. <laughs> Michael, Michael Winner, he's probably sponsoring the group. <laughs> there we go. So speaking of rape, they grab the woman and just go into the, the van, do their deed. Husband's just fucked up, beat up on the ground. Yep. Paul opens fire on everybody. Opens fire. Jiver, who's in there mid-rape, grabs the woman, uses her hostage. And then he like, I think he just throws her away and runs. Paul shoots him in the ass. He does get an ass shot in there. And then a minute later... The the shot has been lowered about eight inches down to his leg. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Notice that while he's running away. See, he and wants it, to the nearest warehouse. Yep, and Paul is following him by the blood trail. Right. So he, he's able to track him. Nobody on the streets bothered by this at all. Well, they're used to it, Griff. Come on. I told you, somebody was apathetically being strangled. They weren't even fighting it. They're just like, that's yeah, a good point. And you had the cowboy. This is the great way when movie theaters start opening up again. If you get to, you know, run another double feature down there at one of your uh, local theaters, I hope you have a cowboy out there with cats. I'm not a up. cowboy. I hope you have the cowboy for the village people. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. There we go. It's all coming together. I, dude. At the Wish Marathon, I'm just saying. You get that worked out. I'll 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 be down there. We'll be guests of honor. Don't worry about it. You get the you get the jet out mothballs. Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Paul chased him to the warehouse. There's like a big pile of boxes, like a wall of boxes. He's, yeah. He's seeing the blood. He's like, "What happened? Where did he go?" Jiver is on a forklift behind these boxes. Very empty warehouse. Just a just a wall of boxes, and that's it. And a, and a functioning forklift. Yes. You know, you <laughs> and you know, know what how to operate, apparently. It's it's the place what? where all the stunt people get their empty boxes for falling on later in the day. Oh, yeah. Of okay. course. <laughs> and, uh, we learned that Jiver worked for Home Depot, so he knows how to use a forklift. Clearly. And it's a very silent. For, it's like when Leatherface comes out of nowhere and the chainsaw is running. It's like the forklift just... Like out of nowhere, no sound, and then he's so, it's an through. electric forklift. Oh, is that it? Yeah, that's it. And it's very. <laughs> this is a very anticlimactic scene. He just goes through the wall. Paul just walks away, shoots him dead. Dead. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so we get a scene where the cops finally arrive hours later. I'm guessing had the, the swinger couple. Yeah, and they're like, "Well, well, did you see anything? You know, like I'm, tr- I'm not, I'm trying to not do my job here, people. Did you see anything?" And he's like. Where the fuck were you guys? My wife was about to be raped. Hey, I had some donuts I was into. You yeah. know? Did you see anything? Like, we, yeah. we, we need to know who this guy is who's murdering and shooting people. And they're like, you want that guy? That guy's a hero. Well, you clearly saw him. So tell us more. What does he look like? They're just like, well, he was eight foot four. He had uh, he was black with a red beard and uh, he had four arms. And the wife is like, no, he was an elf with green teeth 
And like, and so they're just like, because they know, they know the deal. Cops are useless, you know. And so, speaking of useless cops, we switch to... We're moving into the second act of the film, and now we're getting the police perspective. The police commissioner. I like like how they did this. He's like, this guy's... is much like in the first movie. This guy's doing our job for us. He's killing people. It's our job. It's making us look bad, you know? And they're like, you know, this sounds very similar to a case maybe five to two years ago. (laughs) I like the five to two, (laughs) not two to five. Five to two years ago. There was a guy, Doctor, uh, Doctor Detective Frank Ochoa, who, who, who uh, solved that case. He didn't really, but they're like, we need to talk to that guy. So they call in Frank, and and then the guys in New York are like, "Whoa, shit! I thought we covered this up." Frank, do whatever you gotta do. Kill that guy. I don't give a fuck. Just make it go away. Because we don't want to make it look make us look bad. It's right. all about covering your ass. It's not about fucking solving crimes. It's about covering your ass. So we got this. We set it up. Frank Ochoa from the first movie is, is heading to L.A. Yeah, I like this because again, we're we're just continuing on this pace of what the police are up to. Frank comes in and he's getting all kinds of information, the crime stats. Uh, you know, here he get he learns about Paul's recent tragedy because the guys have already like ID'd Paul, and they're just like, yeah, this Paul guy. You know, I, th- I I'm sure Frank brought up his name, but. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's the weirdest thing. His his daughter got <laughs> raped and murdered, and I think he had some kind of help or something. I think she was brutally raped or something. I I, I believe yeah. the we left the body in his apartment <laughs> yeah, <they laughs> yeah, or his house. Throw her in the dumpster. They're like, yeah. I think she's I, I think she's over in evidence actually, just rotting. It's awful. It smells terrible. <laughs> we should do something about it. But that. it's like Frank. In case you didn't watch the beginning of the movie, I'm gonna rattle off some more statistics for you, and it's like. 5,000 deaths last week alone. Murray, it's right here. 96 deaths. Serious injuries. 1,500 rapes. 579. That's like, that has to be like 450 more than what happened in Death Wish 1. So LA, despite its population of two to three hundred, people are getting recognized. It's look, look, it's it's a town that's filled with Bill Cosby and, you know, all those other folks, right? Right, people are getting raped twice, Griff. That's why. <laughs> so, Phil, so I, 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 Phil I you know, Phil Spector and uh, you know Bill Cosby are probably half those numbers. Was Phil Spector a rapist? I thought he just pulled guns on people. Well, I mean, I serious I injuries and deaths. So I'm just I'm lumping them together. You know, one oh, does okay. one, one does the other. You know, they probably work tag team. I don't know, but I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, you rape them, I'll kill them. Don't worry about it. You know, Illuminati death packs. You know how it is. Fucking <laughs> yeah. okay. L.A. So I, I I like this little thing where uh, that Vincent Gardenia brought in from the last movie. Apparently, Detective Ochoa has allergies because he's constantly sniffling and taking nose drops. And it's a nice touch. We go, wow, I, I feel this guy is a real person to me now because he has allergies just like I do. Yeah, although or unless unless he's covering up his coke habit. And little you know, coke sniffles. He's, he's in LA. Hey, what's the seventies? He's like, hey, he's, he's like, I just got back from Studio Fifty Four. What's going on? I, I, I feel so. Oh, Frankie's talking. And just to point out, you know, because the, the the detective that's investigating this all this stuff in LA is, of course, Lieutenant Mankiewicz, which sadly is the Mank we got stuck with in nineteen eighty two instead of you know the the Mank. But he is the worst of the Mankiewicz brothers, I believe. 
you know, he doesn't even want to help Frank. He's just like, hey, I, I, we're useless. We don't know what to do. And but he's feeling a little suspicious. He's like, why are you here, Detective Ochoa? Oh, it's a vacation, you know. And so he's like, oh, this guy's going to try to make us look bad. Frank's like, don't worry about it. I'm just here for a vacation. I'm going to go break into someone's house. Yeah. How did he know about Jerry? I don't know. Uh, Minkowitz told him. Oh, he's like, here's a, here's a witness you might want to bother. Yeah, he was just like, what's uh, Paul been up to? Well, he's dating this uh, news reporter or radio host or something. Yeah, she's pretty great. She lives over here at this address. And then he's like, are you withholding information on me? After he just got that address, he, he couldn't connect those dots. So that's why the, the cops are useless in this. In this clearly, story. yeah. So, yeah, so much like the last movie, uh, Detective Ochoa just breaks into Jerry's house. That's it. Yeah, you can do that. And she she comes home from work and she's like, oh, and he's like, he's drinking her non-fat milk. <laughs> <laughs> I bet I bet she was a big fan of vitamin D milk. And then she started dating uh, Paul Kersey. And he was like, what is this? You're going to get fat. Whole milk. <laughs> what am I, a millionaire? <laughs> Who knew? Non, non-fat milk sponsored this movie at its core. <laughs> dairy. Yeah. Dairy Farmers of California brought to you. Big dairy. I hate yep. big dairy, man. So, so yeah, no, he only makes Jerry. Jerry can only have skim milk. That's, <laughs> is that a step below non-fat? Skim milk is... Water. I know skim milk is water, but I don't know that my great. I I stay at the top. There's two percent. Yeah, there's, there's vitamin whole, D. Well, that's whole milk. Yeah. Yes, two percent, and then there's skim milk. Yeah. So, what, but non-fat wouldn't that be? Skim I think milk? that would be skim milk. Yeah. yeah okay. That, that's like drinking. So he's already water. drinking it. Yeah. He wa- you're saying he waters Jerry's milk down even more. <laughs> yes. He pours out half of it and then waters it down. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> yeah, half and half. God. So she's like, they, he's like. I don't even remember what this conversation was. What was this conversation, Griff? Oh, because she walks in and she's immediately frightened because there's a man <laughs> sitting there and he's sneezing and he's coughing. He's got a red nose. So she's probably thinking he's high as fuck. And he's just like, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I'm with the police. And she's like, I'm going to call the police. I want to do that. It's Robert Downey Jr. who broke into her house. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, and he just says, I wouldn't do that. She's like, I trust you now. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? Because they don't know I'm here. <laughs> what, how is that a comforting uh, sentiment to this woman? She just, yeah, like her her boyfriend's maid and uh, daughter just been brutally raped. So she'd be on, on guard, you would think. But she's like, you have a trusting face. Yeah, yeah, clearly you have a trusting face. And then he he just throws out, Frank just throws out, aren't you wondering where Paul's disappearing to every night? And that that does it for Jerry. She's like, I am wondering that what has he been up to because we uh so cleverly just went ahead and uh skipped over a lot of these scenes there is just random scenes of jerry calling paul's house nonstop. this woman like i said earlier is obsessed with paul and so she is just calling him every moment she gets like we see her at one scene reading a magazine she gets through one sentence we watch her finger follow along with the sentence and then she calls paul one more sentence calls paul again she's obsessed how, so how many of course times she would she have texted him? I mean, imagine oh, if this geez. film was made in the text world. If it was made in the early 2000s when you had to pay for text, too? Oh, jeez. Oh. That phone bill. Jeez. I don't want Paul would have blocked her. Paul would have blocked him. <laughs> so, basically, it sounds to me like uh, Frank is cock-blocking uh, our boy Paul. 
he wants in on some. He wants to get some little bit of that Jerry. And so he's just making Paul, Paul look bad. He's like, hey, I'm just saying, your boyfriend's probably a, a vigilante murderer. It's pretty interesting. Why don't you think about it? I believe. Help me with this. Does uh, uh, Frank follow Jerry right after this? I think he knows. No, he knows where Paul lives because you know Paul stays at the same place. He, yeah. They had the crime report. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I did, I, know, I, did like, I, know, I did like Frank with the binaca before. Well, he's getting close to her. He starts using the yeah, mouth spray on him. Yeah. Oh, he's moving on that lady. <laughs> I didn't even. I didn't even catch that. Didn't know that was a. Well, like we move. all know, all middle-aged white ladies love serial killers. So this actually turns her on. Oh yeah, she wants Frank. If I mean Paul Moore. I mean, if True Crime Podcasts were a thing back then, she would have been listening oh, to all of them. She'd be doing one. I mean, she is an investigative journalist. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. much like we are. Much like us. Yes. So yeah, so she goes to Paul's. Paul, she happens to be there. He's he's just on his way to like he's, he's got his blazer on. He's just about to put on the stocking cap and do a night on the town. And then she walks in. Doesn't have his stalker cap at home. He keeps that at the you're the, right. The, you know the 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 Roach Motel. And uh, but she does confront him, and she's like, "What a, what is this? I hear about nine murders in New York." Paul's just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Come on, baby. Have you been talking to any detectives from the New York area? Maybe okay, uh, the Detective Sniffle. Yeah, you know? Detective Frank. And she's like, yeah, I might have. He's just trying to get in your pants. Did he do the Bianca move on you? Bianca? Bianca? <laughs> He's just a cock blocker, baby. You know I love you. Now, can you get the fuck out of my house? I got things to do. What are you talking about? He says, why don't you cook me dinner and stay the night? Because he's got to smooth things over, Murray. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, he's like, he's like, if I bang her, she'll do whatever I tell her. Exactly. Do. Go get the non-filled so fil- like, milk. Yeah. Get that whole <laughs> milk. <laughs> baby, tonight we're doing whole milk. Yeah. Whole milk, baby. <laughs> All the way. It's not... It's <laughs> not- much like we learned, his cover for the ice cream, lactose intolerance. That's why he's yeah. doing the fucking scam. <laughs> Jesus Christ. We're just so good at this. We stumble (laughs) onto these facts. Oh, jeez. Not open up the wine. Get the the whole fat milk out. (laughs) Oh, God. Uh, So, yeah, they they have a nice little... Nice little night in together, get romantic with each other. I believe we wake up to the next morning with them in bed and in robes and everything. I don't remember anything. I think that's that's when she announces she's going on her big trip. Which one? What was her there's, big There's a birthday, was, yeah. Her, the birthday her party. has a birthday. Yeah, they're going yeah. up to Carmel. Oh, yeah. which, which I love because it's a five-hour road trip both ways. But it's worth it because Clint Eastwood's the mayor. It is. and so <laughs> A Clint connection. So It's one of those middle-aged wine-drinking lady type things. Oh, know? okay. They're going to okay. go up, drink wine, tell everybody in hearing distance they like wine. It's, it's not funny, lady. Stop. Stop <laughs> with the wine jokes. And so Paul's like, great, you're out of my hair. Yeah, he 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 does faint. He's just like, I thought you said you were all mine tonight. Oh, shucks. You'll be up in how long? Good. <laughs> Stay there overnight. Get real drunk. He's like, you know, there's a lot of traffic coming up. You know, it's like three in the morning. They're doing this like, maybe you should leave now. <laughs> what is the traffic? <laughs> and so Paul. Frank is. Oh, go ahead. I was going to point out, Paul, Paul seems to celebrate because he gets out his non-fat milk again. You know, because he he doesn't want to get weighed down before vigilante night. 
just chugs the fuck in, you know. But it is smart, you know, puts put some easy calories in your belly and everything, you know, drink to this is Well the, he wants to do that challenge, drink a gallon of milk. Oh, like he, want, he wants to be part of that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean I mean non fat milk in the eighties was pretty much the vitamin water of today. Oh, that's a good point. Uh, that's I don't know why there isn't a milk vitamin water. I mean it's it is uh, Merman mm-hmm. Industries. <laughs> We're moving in on that. We're going to take on big Coca-Cola because this is the scene, Murray, yes. where we now see we... him leave the milk out. Yes. <laughs> He's living dangerously, Griff. He's like, I'm going to I'm gonna leave that out for a whole day and I'm going to drink it see what happens. Yeah. So th- we also have Frank on the move and he's coordinating with uh, the LAPD. Cat and mouse. And he's like, hey, take my car because he drove his car all the way over from New York. Right. So Paul can still identify his car. Because right. <laughs> it's been two to five years, two to so five you years. don't you don't get a new car between that time. Oh, so he parks uh, uh, this LAPD. Yeah, really, I'm thinking about that. Like fucking Paul's gonna recognize his car. Like you well, have to even do this. Well, I mean, Paul probably's memorized every car that Rent a Wreck offers. You know, since he's needed for his cover, right? There, I mean, that's God, be do they still have Rent a Wreck? I don't think so. I, I I've yeah. never even heard of it. Oh yeah, it was like it was like your low, low, low ball of uh, renting a car from uh, you know at the airport. Okay. So he does this thing where he has a, a cop buddy of his, like make it look like it's you're me. Paul's looking. He's got that milk. He's looking out the window. He's like, I see you. Yeah, I'm well, gonna go out the back door. All they had to do was pretend to be sneezing a lot. That was all the LAPD guy had to do to pretend to be. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, Paul, this, again, death wish move. He's like, I'll just go out the back door. <laughs> but Frank's on Which him he did time. in the last move. Exactly. Yeah. So, of course, Frank knows what to do yeah, here. Yeah, because Frank, yeah, you're right, because Frank got, got tricked by it. He's like, you're not going to do that with me this time. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be by the back door. So, he's got his own little beater from the Wreck-It Ralphs or whatever you were calling <laughs> The Wreck-It Ralphs. <laughs> and uh, he puts a tail on Paul and follows him over to... Uh, what was it? A bus stop where he jumps in a car and Frank gets out and he gets into a cab. Now, like there's this exchange of vehicles that happens for this eight minute scene. Yeah, it's too much. It is. It's confusing and unnecessary because yeah. Paul, I, Paul makes like five different like rides on buses. And it was on one of the bus. He gets out where he sees uh, his his gangs that his, the, the gang that uh, raped his daughter. He's like, I, I found them. They get on a bus, and so he gets on another bus, and he's trying to act nonchalant. He, well, wait, you got to point out these these guys are like they're like breakdancing, like they got like a song and dance routine they're working okay, on. Okay, that's right. He goes to the park, right? Yeah, and yeah, Frank. He got, walks by Matt Pike from High on Fire, who's hitting on a lady. Shirt, you tells Matt Pike because he's shirtless with yes. you know shitty tattoos, and <laughs> then he sees these guys. This is uh, Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah, Cutter, Cutter, Punk Cut. And Nirvana. Yeah. And there's a little outdoor stage, and they got their boombox out, and they're all dancing up there. And <laughs> there's a very bizarre scene. These tough, like, gangbangers are all dancing with each other and loving, loving it. Breaking and two. Like, uh, Breaking two. There we go. <laughs> and, and like our weird uh, street where it's just full of gangs, but then every once in a while, just like some weird old couple, there is like a couple old couples, like, sitting around a fountain watching them dance, just waiting to be robbed, essentially. Like it's such a bizarre scene. It's so bizarre. But I I don't get that how these like, guys operated without cell phones. 
Uh, I, I guess they just hang out at the same places, you know? They must yeah, because, it's, it, you it's, know, it's like it's like they're not even low-profile guys. It's like, uh, you know, oh, we're waiting to make our deal, so why don't we stand on stage and start breakdancing? Because no one's going to notice They're killing that. time because the big arms deal is, like, later on. That's at, like, 8 o'clock. It's yeah. 7 right now. So, like, we got to kill some time. And they were probably a little anxious about it, so they were dancing out their uh, anxiety, you know? You know That's what I do. And then they're going to take a bus to go do their big deal. I mean, public transportation is a big problem in America. I appreciate that these guys are trying to support it. <laughs> yeah, they I mean, don't want their carbon footprint to be that I, big. Yeah. I mean, I think I think this is the most L.A. bus movie outside of Speed. There's, there's, <laughs> I've, I've been to L.A. and I don't recall ever actually seeing a bus near me when I was wandering around. <laughs> so, they, yeah, they get on the bus. Paul follows them. Yep. And then Frank is following them with a, with a, a cab. And cause, because they're scum, they're like grabbing on a woman and just got offered like waitressing job they're spray painting shit that's right yeah they're, they're keep trying to look up her her skirt and uh, like everybody's just like sitting there nonchalantly just like oh that's too bad for that woman paul is like hiding behind like a newspaper yeah peeking over he's got the two holes cut out of <laughs> he's holding it up to his face and much like cutter said all black people look the same to him all old people look the same to those guys because they don't recognize Paul. They don't. The guy they just beat the shit out of like two days ago. Yeah, two, three days ago, maybe two, five two years, years ago. <laughs> two to five days ago. Yeah. And so they get off the bus. I guess they're having a, a drug deal at some a monument park thing. Yeah. Because for some reason, they actually have the cab driver point out that it's a place for monuments. Yeah. Because Frank's like, what the fuck is this place? Yeah, because he's asked the cab driver that. And he's like, oh, no one goes down there except drug dealers and Ginty sometimes. You hear his jowls firing up down there. It's, it's awful. You don't want to be down there. So Frank, gives, he, he pulls out a $10 bill, rips it in half, goes, here, this is, you can have this half now, but you better stay here to get yeah. the other half. And, he, and I, I feel bad for that cab driver because we'll learn later he never gets the other half. I wonder how long he waited. Well, for 10 bucks, you'd wait a long time. Wait a long time? It was the 80s. So, yeah. That was a lot of money back then. <laughs> so, right. The, this is the arms deal. Our boys got the drugs. This guy with, like, fucking uh, Mork and Mindy suspenders. Yeah, the or... rainbow suspenders. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought it was Doug Henning without his wig on. <laughs> well, Doug Henning let himself go. He, had, he, he has been <laughs> drinking the whole milk because he's pretty fucking <laughs> yeah. fat. He's probably, you know, he's probably drinking half and half. Oh, that! Wow. Oh, jeez, that's heavy shit. He's, that's, he's that's hardcore, man. Shit. He's buying drugs. He's dealing he's, guns. He's he's gonna live radical and drink half and half. He's got the Panama <laughs> hat on. He's looking good, and he opens a trunk where you keep your fucking illegal arms. All kinds of illegal guns. Not even a hidden compartment. They're just all there. Right. But he had a nice display with lights and everything. So like, you well, can't he's, hide he's that. Professional. I mean, he's, he rolls around in Angel Town. You can just walk. He, they drive it around with Uzis hanging out of the car in Angel Town, so it's not a big deal. And you see the hand off of the drugs. Of course, they rub their gums with it. This is some good shit. That's good shit, pal. And while that's going on, our man Paul, he's watching Lurking in the Woods. Yep, you see him, just the moonlight hitting his face. And you see uh, Frank, he's lurking, watching watching Paul, watching them. Yeah, it's, it's it's the middle of the night, and his binoculars apparently are night vision goggles as well, because he's seeing everything perfectly clear. And yet, there is a man, 
as we're about to find out, because Frank notices it. Because he's very well lit. What like spotlight on him? He's got a spotlight attached to his rifle. How do you not notice the man in the tree with the flashlight shining <laughs> it down in a perfectly dark park? He's spotlighting well, deer. <laughs> he's canceling the deer for us. He is. He's taking them out. He's like, you know what? I'm going to stand up here and I'm going to shine my light and I'm going to take out uh, Bambi. That's it. <laughs> so this is, we you know, this is Joe's favorite gang. Then. Yes. Yep. The yep. deer, the deer hunters is what they're called. They are. And so the, the gangs, they're like, all right, we're, we're taking these guns, whatever. And then the fucking sniper notices Paul. And Frank noticed the sniper noticing Paul. He goes, look out! Everybody takes cover. Guns are opening up. Paul starts firing in the direction of the drug deal. I don't even... Who gets who gets the guy out of the tree? I don't even know. Did we point out that Punk Cut paid with his money out of a fanny pack? <laughs> we didn't mention that. Was that the but... <laughs> I didn't even know fanny packs were a thing in the early 80s. I'm learning you know, something. You know what? We got, I, I got into an argument earlier because that Wonder Woman 84 movie... And and they, they have a fanny pack joke in it. I was like, wait, I don't recall fanny packs in 84. You know, uh-huh. I had a friend who was making yeah. them like in 88 or something, you know, but I guess it was something. You know what? It's an L.A. thing for your drugs. That's probably where it yeah. came from. And and by drugs the way, here's what, here, here's what I don't really get about this whole deal is how are these guys going to get their guns home since they took the bus to make the deal and they don't seem to have any bags or anything. It's like, yeah. were they going to stick the, yeah. uh, you know, the uh, automatic rifles? Into the fanny pack too, Joe. Didn't we learn anything from this movie? It's it's like Wild West out here. It is. You yeah. can just carry carry guns on a bus. I mean, oh. your odds are low. There's only like a two or three hundred uh, person population around here too, right. and it's we're talking like two a.m. So there's not going to be that many people out, right? Yeah. No, and and you know what? Probably the bus driver willing to swap <laughs> his own rod for one of them. You know, there we go. It's a, it's, it's a big swap so, gun show. <laughs> the sniper unloads on fucking Frank. This like, like Frank is just shredded meat. That that sparks the killing lust in Paul. So he just starts shooting. Yeah, he's shooting at everybody. I believe Rainbow Suspenders gets the car and takes off. Uh, you got all kinds of man. Uh, yeah, because the guys are trying to hide behind his car. He's like, yeah. fuck, this is, I haven't paid this car off yet. So he's like, I gotta get the fuck out of here. Hunter, Florence Fishburn. Not a very smart movie. He's like, a boombox is going to protect me? I mean, he was smart enough to know he needed to protect himself. <laughs> so he holds the boombox over his face, and he's walking backwards very slowly. And, yeah, he gets shot through the boombox. Yeah, right into his face. Pretty impressive. Yeah, it's a good shot. But we know Paul's a crack shot. So. And then Rainbow Trout starts driving off, leaving uh, Punk Cut defenseless. He gets shot in the dick. Rainbow gets shot. There happens to be a cliff, just happens to be right by where they're doing the deal. Goes off the cliff, car explodes, so Rainbow's dead. Everybody's dead, but Paul and Nirvana gets away. Yeah. I, I like to point out, I, I cried when the boombox died because that was the movie's most sympathetic character. <laughs> you like, didn't rape anybody, you're right. <laughs> the boombox didn't deserve the sad fate, and, uh, you know, it was just harsh. It was just harsh. Oh, Paul, uh, the cops, for first first time in this movie, the cops are actually showing up now. We hear the sirens. Yeah. Did Paul get hit at all, or is he fine? I don't remember. I don't remember if he gets hit in this scene, but I do know he goes over to... Oh, go ahead. 
he he does. I, I I believe he was bleeding at one point as he was trying to get yeah. home. Yeah. Yes, he he had a got hit somewhere. He gets hit a few times in this movie, which is surprising. But he does go. I do know he goes over to Frank as the uh, sirens are getting closer, and he's like, "It was you." And they, you know, have a moment. I don't remember what they really say. Well, Frank's just like, with his dying breath, "Get those motherfuckers for me." Yeah. Is it? It was like the win one for a Gipper speech from the Newt Rock. It was that moving. And it inspired Paul. So we uh, we pay more close attention here to the cops who uh, they have punk cut because he was shot, but he's just dying. So punk cut just he's about to die. He's like, I got I got to fess everything. And he gives away Nirvana, where he's at, what his real name is. I think it was Charles Wilson or something. Charles Nelson Riley. Charles Nelson Riley. Charlie Wilson's war. That's what Charlie Wilson's war. (laughs) Yeah, he just he just punks out. He should be called punk. Yeah, he's punk guy uh, because he's he's a punk. Yeah, he just gives up all. He's like, I tell you where his mom lives. Whatever you need to know. And while he's telling them, they like because he wants to be saved because they're like grabbing his dick, squeezing it. Like you tell us, or you're not getting any medical attention. And as soon as he gives up all the information, he dies. He bleeds yeah. out. And uh, no time. Oh, go ahead. He, he saved us twenty minutes of movie though by punking out like that. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> People, screenwriters, this is how you get that sweet 90 minutes. I we need it. We need the 90 minutes more than ever. All right, so we go to the next day and the police there now that they know his name, Charles Wilson Nelson Riley, right out of uh, the match game. That was Charles Nelson Riley, yeah, right? Yeah. And uh we're, we're next day, Paul is driving over to Charles' house as well. He learned where he lived, uh so he's going to head over to get him. And he's uh, well. He learned he, I lived. He had a police scanner. He got a police scanner. He from went to the buddy. radio station, and they're like doing their investigative journalism. Like, oh, another killing going on. I love it. If it, if it bleeds, it leads. True crime. And he's like, hey, what? I've noticed those police scanner things. Can I borrow one? Sure. Here we got one. Like, like very suspicious. But they're like, yeah, whatever. Okay, so this is what the the police uh, radio is. What leads Paul to it. And as he's driving up, he's seeing all the cops hiding behind corners and everything. Well, they're not really hiding. You can totally see I was just going to say, it's the middle of the day. There's cops with rifles on rooftops, just in their black. We're just some street punk. Like they... We're a street punk, yeah. <laughs> Jeez, a little intense, guys. Um, so we watch Paul drive around as he's noticing all this. And then he like parks around the corner. And he starts uh, going up the rooftop. And he even gets noticed by the police. And they're like, uh, did one of our guys go on the roof? No. Whatever. No big deal. So we follow Paul into into uh, the building. You see Charles Nelson Riley. He's got two babes on his arms. He's, yeah, he's, he's walking on life. the... He forgot walking. about all his friends. He doesn't care. He's scum. Well, yeah. He's I living that he, gang lifestyle. Was he wearing man. like sunglasses with one lens missing? I kind of remember. He had a blacked out lens. Okay. I believe that's what he had going on here. Blacked out lens and then a... Lazy eye? Is that what he had? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so, anyways, wait, he's going to get laid. He's got two babes with him. Yeah, he's got two. He's at, he's at, he went to a place where it's $75 a month, so he's really treating these babes good. And he got the clean sheets? Yeah, he, he paid extra. Five extra for those clean he sheets. Paid, he paid an extra two bucks for the clean pillow. The clean pillow, too. Wow. A real pillowcase and everything. Plus no, the resort no fees. <laughs> they have resort <laughs> fees. <laughs> And you a couple to, bucks for the deadbolt. Yeah, it's like 
you know, if you want, if you want to use the swimming pool, resort fee right now, right now. <laughs> so they, so Paul, he, he knows better than the cops. I mean, as soon as he enters the building, you already hear a woman screaming. You thought they were prostitutes or something coming, you know, to get paid and have well, some sex. Did, didn't I thought Paul? He went up like a separate building, and he's like up on the roof. Yeah, like, yeah. like I said, yeah. he he gets on the roof, and the cops notice him, uh, and they're like, "Who the fuck is on the roofs?" <laughs> and then they're just like, "Yeah, well, we'll wait, we'll wait it out. Maybe he'll do our job for us." Exactly. They do know a vigilante's on the loose, so they were probably like, "I'll do the murder for us." So Paul comes in, he hears the scream, so he immediately knows where Charles or Nirvana's room is going to be. Because Charles just, Nirvana Riley. Charles Nirvana Riley just has to follow the screams, and one girl's running out, and he's like chasing her, like gra- trying to grab her by the hair or something. And Paul pulls out his gun on him and shoots at him and gets hit in a crossfire, I believe. Because I thought Paul got hurt in this situation. I don't know. I don't think uh, I, he might have had a knife. I don't think uh, Charles Nirvana Riley had a gun. Okay. This whole scene's a blur. All I remember, I am this woman. We run by the room, and the second lady is just sitting there topless with headphones on, just humming to herself. Yeah. And that, that's all I remember. Judge. Scene. She was just there because Michael Winter wanted a chick with big tits. So yeah. throw it in there. She, she got Good her job, SAG Mike. card. She got her SAG card, and that's what matters most. <laughs> so Nirvana just runs out. The cops are like, I guess we got to do our job. He didn't do it for us. So they surround the place. And then Nirvana must have been on some P2P. He he was. Not PCP, P2P. Yeah, they, they say, this motherfucker's on P2P. That's the hard shit. If you've ever seen Stone Cold, that's the hard shit. It's the hard, hardest shit. And he's just pummeling the shit out of cops. Yeah. He's taking the baton uh, hits to the back of his he head. He gets hit with a, a taser and just fucking rips him out. He ripped, yeah. That taser was fucking huge. The the little node that attached to him. It was, a, it was a, a blood sport taser. There we go. Oh. And they finally subdue him. They you know they put the knee on his neck. That's how you subdue a person. And they get him down. And Paul's like, "Shit, I wanted to kill him. Revenge." But he's he got hurt. I think, like we said, or maybe we're all remembering wrong. I think the best the, the best part is they do- okay the cops dogpile the guy they they dogpile yeah. Nirvana there and then after they dogpile somehow he gets up and he assumes the position against the car it was like <laughs> oh well you got me you know like I was just pissed off they didn't use the bowling uh, sound from American Ninja Two when he rip ripped up from the dogpile that would yeah. have been really I mean funny. it was. I mean, it was, you could barely see it. It was like in the little corner. But it was just like, there he is leaning up against the edge of a squad car with his hands on it. And you're just like, really? This is how it ends? Oh, well. He's coming, guess he's he's coming down from the high. Yeah. You think he was taking some Prevagen? Because that stuff I heard is pretty good. <laughs> Stay, I don't know what his cat tranquilizers. I don't know what he's taking. So we get a cut back over to Paul. What's he up to? You know, he's been, I believe he was harmed in this situation. I think he got caught. Yeah, and he goes back to... He did. He got his, caught like his arm got like yeah, a big slash. And he went back to his own house instead of his uh, Roach Motel room. Well, there's no bathroom there. Oh, yeah, he got to was. share the bathroom. That's he just has right. a room. There's a communal bathroom. That, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, he did, he did have a sink. He had a sink in the room. Oh, okay. So we could have washed up in there. He could have washed up in the sink. But I, I think, unfortunately, yeah. uh, you only get fresh water on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Oh, you know what? That makes sense. That makes sense. $50. Just like watering your lawn. Yeah. There's yeah. a water shortage or whatever the whatever the situation is. 
So uh, probably just to move the, the add some tension, move the script along here. He goes back to his house where Jerry happens to show up. She's always <sighs> so inconveniently did, showing up. Oh, yeah, because I think he actually slipped up and gave her one of the a key for the. Yeah, after they made up, he's like, yeah. you know, well, he's been murdering again. So he's got his libido back and he's like, I got to get that. I got to get that tail in my life. You know, I got to keep her around. So he's like, you know, here's the new key. Keep coming over. Keep showing up. That was right before she went to Car- Carmelo for wine drinking. With Car- lady. Carmelo Anthony Car- Car- for wine drinking. <laughs> Carmel Car- by the Car- sea, baby. Yeah. Taking some um, jazz. Yeah, jazz the thing. She came back early because she's like, all they want to talk about is wine. I'm not, you know, I'm cooler than that. I'm the cool friend. Yeah. So I asked them and... if they drank non-fat milk, and they said no. And I was like, you know what? You're not my people. I'm out of here. <laughs> so he's like trying to get her out because he's bleeding profusely. He and he, I don't think he gets her out because I'm pretty sure he cleans up or whatever, and then a second later walks out of his bathroom. And he's still bleeding onto his floor and everything. Yeah, that's but... when he gets rid of her. He is still bleeding. He does okay because yeah, she comes in when he's cleaning his like the cut off. Okay, he does get rid of her. Because I just remember we get a scene of uh, them watching the court case, and they're both in their robes, and they both have glasses on the tips of their noses, like reading newspapers and listening to the radio and everything. And we we get to learn. Yeah, because she's there for her job. You know, she's like a reporter. Yeah. He's just there because this guy raped his daughter. And I think his maid, or does he care anymore? No, he doesn't care. And of course, the, oh, this is why we got to get rid of these liberals, Griff. Yeah, because they're like he's sick. He needs to just go away for a couple weeks, detoxed, and he'll be a, he'll be a, a upstanding citizen again. That's all it's going to take—just a couple sessions and no and punishment. We don't punish criminals in America anymore. Just take he needs. Get a spa treatment and then let him loose. And I believe uh, how we're going to get Paul and uh, Paul closer to uh, Charles Wilson, Nirvana Riley, is Jerry is actually going to interview him. Or was she going to interview the doctor? Yeah, she's just doing a piece on the uh, rehabilitation. On the rehabilitation. Okay. Criminals. Because she's like, yeah, I'm working with that ward. Do you want to go there? And Paul's like, yes. (laughs) Give, Give me in there. Send it in. Send it in. <laughs> yes, yeah, so he's like the perfect crime, you know. So he's happy. She's happy. Nirvana's happy. By the way, the case, one hour. That's he's, all. You know, they're like, yeah, just lock him up in a spot treatment. We have no time. The courts are, <laughs> we're packed. I mean, that, that was pretty fast. You know, you figure out he, he gets busted and he goes straight to a full trial in what, what, 10 minutes? Yeah. You know. I, I guess in the early '80s, the justice system moved a lot faster than it does nowadays. It, it you so know, Jerry, what? I, they were just waiting for it. They were just waiting for people to show up for trials. They had empty court courtrooms and judges just stand there and lawyers who had cases, <laughs> they, you know, and that's it. You know, he's he's nuts. He's nuts, Your Honor. Give him, then, send him to the nut house. Paul is so outraged. He's like, "Why don't you get some a pearl necklace for that black dress you're wearing?" He screams at the judge. You know, a classic, classic, classic wings joke. line, yeah, classic joke. And <laughs> well, it was. I think Normad was the judge. I did see Normad. I'm gonna let you off <laughs> this one time. Well, because I, I like the cut of your shades. <laughs> <laughs> get even, people. Listen to that episode. So yeah, so. He, 
once again, the, the pussy-ass liberal fucking law system that we have that's not fucking warehousing people in prisons like it, you know, it does. They're just letting them go. Well, you'll be happy to know that every single character Paul meets in this movie agrees with you. Because <laughs> we go over to um, we go over to the psych ward. Right. And Paul, he's, he's thinking like James Bond, and he's got the face of an 80-year-old uh, Sean Connery as well. He's like, where's the bathroom? And they point it out, and he's like, great, I'm going to go take, you know, finish. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they leave him alone. They give him his privacy. <laughs> like Jimmy Stewart at the end. Like, oh, right. <laughs> I got to take a shit. Either way, uh. it, it sounded like not me doing an awful, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, and the, I love how they end. Why do they end this scene? It, it's all cut right. Wait, no. Cut left. Like <laughs> Michael Winner knows what makes good movie, <laughs> like, like <laughs> bathroom, <laughs> bathroom roots, you know? Yeah, like, exactly. Sure. That really put me in the scene, though, because I was like, if I go to that psych ward now, I know. Go to down to the right. No, the... go to the left. Oh, you go to yeah, the left. And the thing is, I think actually he went to the right. That was the funniest thing about mm. it. But he sees, it says a big sign that says doctor dressing room or something. Yeah. So he just walks in. He looks like a doctor. He's old. Yeah. Steals a lab coat. You know, he just oh, he stole the whole coat. That's right, right. he did. He took the coat and the little lanyard or whatever little ID ID goes home. Because apparently this is like a big piece that Jerry's going to be there for a week, so he's got the in in for a week. He's going to be back. Yeah. So while he's working on this, he's also got to keep Jerry, you know, cool. Again, he's got his libido back, so he needs to keep that steady tail coming. Got his groove back, Griff. He's got his groove back. So much so that he's ready to move on to the second stage of their relationship or third stage. I don't know what the marriage stage is, but he takes her out to a big fancy dinner and he gets the most expensive champagne around, which I can't think of an expensive Don champagne. Perignon. Don, Don Perignon. Don Perignon. Yeah. yeah. Was it like eight, $8 a dribble or something like that? Yeah. He $8. pointed that out. He's like, oh, you just spilled $8 worth. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine how much non-fat milk he could have bought for that one bottle of Dom Perignon. <laughs> he did have a little, I noticed that little glass of milk next to it. And it's California, so of course they're having sushi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's kites everywhere, too. I like I like the symbolism there. And she's excited, because not only is she going to marry the most beautiful man in, in L.A., she's got the cover story of whatever this fucking magazine she works for. I don't even remember what it was. Uh... Prime and monthly. so she's just like, you made me the most luckiest woman in the world. He <laughs> winks at the camera. We know what Paul's doing. Paul goes home. I What's going on with Paul? He couldn't just write a fucking name to fit. He was constantly screwing up. He can make up any name, and he can't make it fit for some reason on this little, like... Uh... Let's point out that he uh, proposes to her. She agrees, of course. And he says, here's the deal. In three days, we're leaving to Mexico. Acapulco. Acapulco. We're going to get hitched there. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And she's just like, what do I do in this situation? He's like, you look pretty. And you know you know what to do when we get to the bedroom. So that's all. We're... He's probably trying to recreate the beach scene. Yeah. Good He's going to try to fuck her on the beach. So 
he's that's, yeah. I guess it's all planned out. Then I'm gonna murder this guy, and then I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna leave the town because I've cleaned up L.A. I've gotten I've checked my list of all the rapists. I'm ready to go. <laughs> we're on to the next time. I apparently from right here, Mexico's not a very safe country. So maybe he's really getting excited. He's gonna open shop in Mexico too, right? And the cops really don't do shit in Mexico, so he loves that idea. So, like I said, he's trying to forge this. He he gets the 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 ID card and he like whites it out and then goes to the Xerox he, machine. Yeah, yeah, he whites everything I, out. I don't get how oh. he's such so horrible at forging these things. He's supposedly this big time architect. You figured out some yeah, hand eye coordination that would work with a yeah. Pen. I didn't even you know? consider. And you could put yeah. any name you want in it. He's not even trying to like use a doctor's name. He's just like making a name up. Yeah, Dr. I thought he didn't figure it out. Dr. McChilly. <laughs> Dr. McKilly, you know, or Oh McKilly. Doc, Dr. Death a tough time about it. Apparently his eyes are going with all that milk something. I don't know. But the point is he's at home trying to doctor this up and he's failing over and over. So he's crumpling the paper and just like chucking it over his shoulder everywhere. So his apartment's littered with little forged IDs to this uh psych ward. But he finally gets it right. It's just beautiful. Chili McFreeze. The best, the best doctor's name. And so now he's ready to go. It took him two, three days, two of them, just to get that ID right. I, you know, I, he, he, I was like, hey, it's pretty good for a guy who didn't know who vowels were at the beginning of the film, you know? So he had to work on that. <laughs> so he drives over in his T-Bird to the, uh, the psych ward. Mm-hmm. The, the people at the gate just let him in. They know they just like... You look like you got a, you got the doctor's coat. You must be a doctor. Doctor's coat, yeah. is, is it just no. me or did that not look like the same psych ward entrance from the Halloween movies? I I don't remember if I, I at that point I might have been just like focused on my notes or something. I I didn't notice anything interesting about you the know, psych ward. The same little gate thing or whatever, you know. Just wave them through. You, so it, you know what? We'll let strangers through and we'll let the patients drive away, you know, on their own. So we're all good. Strangers through at three in the morning. It's like yeah. Late at night. Yeah, it he's is. Like, and he's like, I am uh, Charles Nirvana Riley's doctor. I'd like to speak with him. <laughs> well, this is highly irregular. Did you, do you have, like, you know, appointment or anything? Very busy. It's three in the morning. I need to get home to have my warm milk before I go to bed. <laughs> and she's like, well, that sounds like you sound important. Well, go right in. He's right there. at the like. I guess this is the place where the criminal, criminally insane are because it's blocked off. Yeah. Like caged off. And there's a man sitting on the other side of the Northerly, cage, and he's like, "So he's got a book. He, he's got to talk uh, talk to this guy and get him to let him through." And he he drops a name on him. He's like, "Oh well, yeah, this what happens is he's he's reading a book. It's a big sticker on it says this, this is was... Robert Bly or whatever's book." Yeah, and he like looks out. I'm supposed to meet a Mister Bly. Is that you? And he's like, "That is me." Well, that sounds like kosher. Come on in. That's what I do with every book I own. As I put a big sticker <laughs> on it, that says this belongs to Griff. <laughs> and while while they let uh, Paul in, a nurse comes in. He's like, "Oh, by the way, nurse, if you ever get locked in here, three six hundred is the key to get out of the, the, the keypad." Just drops that little knowledge on Paul, and then Paul Paul barely remembers it later on too. He's old, but he's like he also does get in the fight of his life in a minute here so it, it, it makes sense right so we get a little thing uh and more uh social commentary from the uh 
the help yeah. the guard. He's like, oh, that. He's like, what's that over there? It's it's giant fucking Star Trek com- computer display. Yeah, there. He's taking him to the room where he's gonna interview. Uh, because he's supposed to be like doing a little interview with uh Charles or you know therapy or whatever you want to call it. And he sees a giant computer, Star Trek computer, all that real tapes on it, all like. kinds of things. They just wanted to make this look as sophisticated as possible. And Bronson points it out. He's like, "Oh, what's this over here?" And the guy's like, "That's the old electronic, uh, you know, it's therapy electroshock machine. therapy." Yeah. And he's like, "You know, the good old days when we we just do that to crazy people." And he's like, "Now we got to like treat them." We used to get to do the frontal lobotomies. We got to you got to do all the good science. They're taking all the good science. They canceled good science. So the the orderly brings uh, Charles Nirvana Riley in. He's like, "You're gonna need me." No, it's okay. You know, a little privacy. We even get to see the guard go back and enjoy food for like a minute <laughs> while he was reading his book. He's just murmuring yeah. it, reading it to himself. Well, and we get to see a so little that... Henny Youngman. Henny Youngman's big guy. Yes, we do. And uh, the only thing older than Charles Bronson is jokes. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably why they put it in there. It's like something's got to be older than me. Uh, make, me <laughs> look, Youngman? make me look swell. Make me look sexy. Henny Youngman, come next to me. Chicks will go all crazy now. <laughs> Little Burrow might be too tempting for the ladies, you know. Give me honey. So I think like um, immediately Paul pulls out a gun as soon as the guard like walks out the doorway. Yeah. Uh Charles comes in, he's getting ready to sit down, and Paul pulls out the gun. And Charles was a, a waiting for this. I don't it didn't seem like he recognized Paul at all. But he's just been in so many dangerous situations before. He immediately just instinctively grabs the table and flips it up, which alters, you know, the trajectory of the bullet. And now we're in this uh, this close quarter combat, and Paul's an eighty year old man, and Charles is a wait fucking- a minute. We as we learned on his license, he's forty five years old. <laughs> oh. oh. So, Even though he's 60 when he was filming this. He had, Bronson actually thought he could play a guy two years younger than me at this movie. Okay, whatever. Joe, I think this is uh, getting to your your question that you had very early on in the episode when you were asking why he was not concerned about his wallet and his cards. Based on the age alone, everything about this identity is fake aside from his name. It's not real. Age, no. weight, height. Uh, so I think all those cards are fake as well, and that's why he's like, I don't give a shit. I'll just make a new identity. You're well, telling me it'll take days to do it. You're, you're telling me he's going to go and get himself another Players International card from Telly Savalas with a new name on I, it? Oh, I'm shocked. Griff, I learned it took him two days to write a name to fit on a line. <laughs> How long is he going to get this like fake ID? Going? What do you think he's been doing those two to five years? He's just <laughs> been working on getting in. So, yeah, you know, he has to restart a little bit, but so, right. he got uh, a lot of murder in in the meanwhile. He's like, so the Nirvana just happens. Yes. <laughs> Nirvana just happens to have a shiv in his shoe. I love this fight, is great, by the way. I really like this fight. It's like I said, it's close quarters. They're like throwing each other against, well, it's Charles throwing uh, Chuck against a bunch of, you know, walls and everything. He's uh, beating the shit out of him. As, well, again, as in real life. Yeah. A guy half his age would kick Exactly. His ass. Mm-hmm. And, who knows? Maybe that P2P hasn't completely worn off yet. Maybe it's like acid or how they say it's stuck in the, like your spine and sometimes you'll crack your back and it'll hit you again. Maybe that's what happened with P2P and he got adrenaline rush and then it hit him. But yeah, he reaches down into a shoe and pulls out a shiv. And just fucking stabs the shit out of Charles. Yeah, very, very precisely in one spot. 
well, he's a pro. Yeah, he's and a pro. Somehow they stumble towards the electroshock wall of computers. Yeah, he th- uh, Charles throws him back over there. And at this point, you know, Paul is just like a mess. He's been stabbed a bunch of times. He's bleeding. He's all, his face is swelling up even more than usual. And it's it's looking like things are are just about to be over for Paul here. Well, until uh, Nirvana's, I guess he's going for the knockout punch. Punches at Paul. Paul ducks. He punches into the electroshock machine, like elbow deep. Yeah. It was like a monitor that he punches through, and yeah, he just gets sucked into it. And then, see, now if they made this movie nowadays, it would be it would take CGI people six months to get this effect. What they do is they just blow a fan in his face to hair, <laughs> so his hair light goes up, like he's being shocked. And he gets shocked, and he dies. It was very loud too. Right, well, he gets, he gets loud enough after, after Paul flips the giant power switch. Yeah, yeah, it just it, said power. It was like it was the Doctor Frankenstein switch, you know, <laughs> which which makes no sense. Why this much power was going through the part with the little monitor screen that was already lit up? <laughs> like, I'm still trying to figure out how this was an electroshock thing. I've seen those; they're not like a giant wall of shit. Yeah, I, mean. I can't imagine because because God, Michael Winner Michael Winner doesn't need to be told what electroshock therapy machines look like. Okay. <laughs> Hey, you know what? I'm okay with this. I'll suspend my disbelief for a while here. I'll buy this shit. I don't they they stuck to it. I'll stick to it. I I, I, that I don't own I don't own an electroshock machine. I don't know what it really looks like, you know? It's true. I, yeah. I can, it's true. You know. I, I might buy one if it looks like that though, because I was pretty bitching. Uh, <laughs> I hope you have a lot of room to keep it somewhere. Yeah, right. I, I do I room space. for it. I'm moving into the children's nursery. You know, that's a good space for it. Kids love electroshock <laughs> therapy. Get out. Builds character. Kids really do. It, it keeps them docile. That's right. So that's right. <laughs> so the orderly finally says, "Hey, what's going on in here?" Yeah, he I'm trying to eat. I'm trying to read. I loved how this was set up because Paul just gets up and he starts walking towards the door. I thought no, he collapses in a chair. He's like fucked up. He walks towards the door and there's the guard staring at him, not saying a word. He's like he's going. Like shaking his finger. And Paul goes over and just stumps over in that chair. And then, yeah, he starts. He's like, he killed my, raped and killed my daughter. No, he didn't kill your daughter. I mean, we don't even know if he raped her. We didn't see that. Yeah. He was just hamming it up for this guy. Right. And the guy's just like, you know. I read about you. You're actually in this book I I got. (laughs) There we go. And he's like, three minutes. That's all I can give you. And then I'm going to hit the alarm. And then Chuck uh, Paul gives that little devilish grin. I got it. And gets up, stumbles out, covered in blood. Like nobody would. Okay, this is like maximum security, like criminally insane people. There's a guy drenched in blood, staggering out. And no one's going to be like, hey, that's odd. Well, it's well, LA. Maybe... They probably performance artist, you know, it's performance artist. Or, or maybe it's a doctor who's also, you know, he's got to head back to the set. You know, there he's we a go. technical a technical advisor on you know Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> All comes back to Starsky and Hutch. It, it <laughs> does. It does. Starsky and Hutch. I just feel bad so, they didn't even mention Rosario. It's like he killed my daughter and Rosario. No, we'll, we'll skip Rosario. We don't need her. You know, it's he doesn't like, exist. No, I I mean he w- he would have had to really lie and say you know my other daughter Rosario or my my sister Rosario because. 
just saying, you know, my maid Rosario was also horribly raped, and that that doesn't that doesn't sell. People no. won't buy that. They don't care. It's L.A. We go through staff so fast, you know. So he hurries back to his flop house hideout. Yep, he's got to clean up because uh, I, I would get. <laughs> He's been stabbed repeatedly. His like, you gotta get medical attention for that. You've been stabbed. No, he's just gonna put a little like band aid on. It his was fucking... it was a giant gauze band aid. Okay, <laughs> I don't give a shit. You gotta have that shit sewed up. You're not gonna stop it with gauze. I just ba- love. He had some back teen. Did he have some back teen? <laughs> oh, okay, that helped. There we go. Liodine. <laughs> yeah, I. He probably has a collapsed lung, but he's just like, oh, I'll just get through it. I don't and who, who knows I where don't... that guy's been hiding his shiv half the time, right? I mean, that's a, uh, you right. know. Up oh, his no. ass, probably. Yeah, up his ass. You that's know. not good for your wounds. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just love this because he, he he's obviously bleeding horribly. And the way he set up his whole trip to Mexico is right after this because he figured he, he was going to have to flee the police and everything. So he's got this all arranged so we can flee the country immediately. He has to hurry back home where Jerry is meeting him. Weren't we we just saying that it was 3 a.m.? Yeah. So they're getting up at 3.30 to fly over to Mexico. Like, nothing's weird about this at all. Cheap flight, if you get early. This is a good point. He's he's very thrifty. This is a good point. And but I, I love the the tension of this scene because it's like he's got to get home. And of course, there's an accident that stops him. But Jerry gets there first. Yeah, and she sees all these balls of paper strewn everywhere, and she's like, "What the fuck, Rosario? Oh wait, yeah, Rosario was dead. I I forgot about her." She's like expecting Rosario to clean this up, so she's like, "Well, I guess I'll have to clean it up." And she picks up one of those wad of paper, opens it up. She sees that childlike scrawl of a name. <laughs> She's like, wait, did is what's going on here? Is he a vigilante? I mean, she knows about the nine murders, so it's like she knew he was a vigilante. So she takes off that engagement ring and puts it right on the wadded up paper and walk, walk right next to the milk. He's right still, next it's to the still milk. out. Yeah, it's still out. <laughs> and she just walks out of his life forever because she's the real life wife of Charles Bronson, and she ain't getting murdered. Yeah. And you know what also? She's going to think about him every time she sees non-fat milk. Right. She's like, I could have had the most wonderful man in the world. Paul's face might as well be on the side of that carton because that. (laughs) Well, he is. Well, he is missing because he He takes off. Yeah. Does she stick to the low fat or does she go back to. She goes straight half and half. half (laughs) Oh, Jesus. She's 100 pounds heavier now because she's drowning her sorrow so that she can't have that fucking brunch long anymore oh my my favorite part of this whole scene of course is uh when he's stuck in uh, at the red light with all the people anyways he's trying to you know ferris bueller get home uh, early and excalibur is playing at the man's chinese theater and that just oh i miss excalibur but anyway enough of that let's talk about milk (laughs) and and by the way just wouldn't wouldn't uh wouldn't an architect like paul have a paper shredder in his house no He's old fashioned. He, uh, he usually used the fireplace, but it was a really warm night and he didn't want to get a fire going to destroy the evidence that he probably really should have been getting rid of. So, you and, know. And, and I also loved all the ducks on his trash can. I mean, it was like a little hunting moment right there. <laughs> it's like, it went with the macrame owl, say, as hanging up in the house so perfectly. 
He's got nature themes going on, man. He's a big fan of the wetlands and owls and macrame art. He learned about right. conservation from Ames from the first movie. There we go. So he's, yeah. Well, he's chopping away on those, uh, you know, chopping away on the wood there. He uh, he wants to be in that space. Uh, yeah. So that. what do you do when your your fiance leaves you, jilts you, leaves you at the altar? You go back to work. This is what Paul does. Uh, yeah. I mean, his wife gets killed. He goes back to work. His daughter gets raped. He goes back to work. His daughter gets killed, uh, raped and killed again. Goes back to work. So, yeah, of course, Paul just buries himself in the architectural I'm, business. I'm glad the scene was added because we finally learned did they go for marble or concrete. <laughs> yes. And Four the- different times we get we get asked about you know we have to be filled in about what he's doing with work. And guys, they went with marble. They they expensive. Yeah, but only the best for this guy's wife. KABC man, they weren't going cheap. <laughs> so he's like, hey, uh, we're having a little party later on. Which you, uh, you gonna show up? Your life the party. I mean, you're just chugging the milk. Paul's like, sure. What else do I have to do? Zoom in on that leathery face. He winks. Oh, he's got to do Death Wish 3. Back with his true love guns and Jimmy Page guitar solos. Isn't that everyone's true love, though? It is. No. No. Non fat milk. (laughs) (laughs) My sweet. Non-fat milk. Uh, I'm gonna drink some vitamin D milk right after this. So Just can I wrap up that... about Julian? Yes, you can. Okay, so 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 Julian. It turns out, even though he was editor, co-editor on this film, pretty much he was doing the assembly cut five days during the the shoot was set up. So he was assembling the scenes uh, for five days, Monday to Friday, on his own. And then Michael Winter would show up on Saturday and Sunday and cut on the days they weren't shooting. And then when they he basically they did an assembly cut about a week after they wrapped, and Michael Winter said, "Well, I'm gone," and he took the film and left. And Julian had nothing to do; it was just you know there was no he had no actual artistic input on anything. He just put together like Winter shot it, and Winter took it to England, you know, made the music with Jimmy Page and stuff, and brought it back. Next time he saw it was the uh, the, the cast and crew screening. And uh, Julian was so disturbed and and disheartened by the film that he apologized to Lawrence Fishburne for you know being oh. in the film. It was just it was it was uh, it was it was not a good thing. He he did not love the film in any way, shape, or form. And it's one of those films he doesn't talk about. I think he'd rather talk about making Motel Hell more than this film. Yeah. Did he try to get his name off of the film because it really oh. wasn't his work? You know. Nah, nah. Well, it was a co thing. You know, he didn't even know the crust business until later. But yeah, it was, you know, I guess if it was a solo thing, he'd be upset. But, you know, you want to get paid and you want your name in the film. But uh, later, later, Julian would go to, he was supposed to go. Originally, Canon told him he was going to cut some other movie. And of course, after this, they said no. And then he did get, uh, he, he was brought on originally to uh, help recut Cyborg. Except he had a giant oh, blow up with Jean Claude Van Damme, and thus he never got to uh, splice it apart. So that was the Julian Smellian tales that I got from him about Death Wish Two. Damn, in Cyborg or I, I don't know oh, if they're gonna be able to do it. <laughs> okay, I can hear you. I don't want to see our for our friends go. Oh okay. wait, wait, we went missing for. Uh, we were just talking shit about you. Don't worry about it. Oh okay. No. <laughs> we, we're, we're, if you, 
Joe, you, right off the bat, your first shot, you oh. hit a home run. Oh, thank you there. How is how is anybody can can compete? I guess guests that are coming up, you better fucking do your homework. You better be ready. You better be ready to bring it. Taffy's going to announce me. I know Taffy because <laughs> she's she's got her cult. The cult of Taffy's going to you know just blow this away. But still, I long time long time listener, first time caller. What can I say? It's it's been a, a trip. An enjoyable fun. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we appreciate that. But Griff, next week, Death Wish four. We already did three. Got to go over to four. Yeah. Yeah, we did. We already did three. If everyone's like, "Well, that, what the fuck? What happened to three? We've already done it. If you want us to listen to it, the easiest way is to go on our YouTube because we only have like fifty or so. Yeah, hundred and fifty fucking. Thing so, any which way is pretty easy. But we'll yeah, just, well, do, no, do, well, no, trust me. If it ain't it ain't the easiest, people won't listen. They're like, well, if I click it on and I got to scroll down more than like two inches, fuck you. So I would recommend our uh, our YouTube because it's got, I think, one of our greatest bits of all time: the Charles Bronson sex toy, uh, the Magnificent Seven. I think is what we call. I it. think it. Yeah, you'll learn all about the Bronchlong. Ten inches of midnight, and I forget the. I got to go listen to it. It's so good. <laughs> it's I forgot been a while, about yeah. it. But next week we're taking a trip across the pond, Griff. We're talking to our old buddy Stewart, who hasn't been. When's the last time he was on? Was it was it Speed Two? I think it might have been Speed Two. That sounds right. So I'm looking forward to that, Joe. Great job. I appreciate you doing this for us. I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. I think you're going to be back on. Absolutely. Here for you, man. It's. <laughs> It's been great. <laughs> well, I, we'll figure out something. We'll get you back on, but cool. Yeah. So we'll see you next week for Death Wish for the Crackdown. And as always, keep it warm.